hope you're hungry. The table is set. Join us for another cosmic feast. Hey folks, welcome back to part two of Diane Fasoka's American Cosmic. Here are the remaining headlines. Saints, mystics, or both. Synchronicities in the UFO event. Jacques Vallée and the internet. From atheist to believer and levitation at the Vatican. Stay tuned. And we're back. Uh, thank you everybody for joining us. I'm excited. The last episode of this was so felt so relevant and so layered. There were so many different minds and subjects that we covered. I honestly haven't been able to stop thinking about this Tyler person. Yeah. And I'm con- I'm actually contemplating not drinking coffee anymore because of this man. Because if wow. I have the option of being, you know, I don't drink anymore, but if, if I have the option of, you know, the guy's like pretty much like cut your dick off and then aliens will speak to you. Like not drinking right. coffee when you're used to drinking coffee is very hard to do, but, um, well, you can wean yourself off and, you know, give, you know, you've, you've gone your whole life without contacting non-human intelligence. So you can go a couple more <laughs> months as you wean yourself well, off of coffee. <laughs> you don't drink coffee every morning, right? I don't drink coffee at all. I think what it's is disgusting. That, what does that feel it. like exactly? I tell people that I run on like a self high that I have like my own because I think the body naturally produces caffeine and maybe mine produces more than an average amount. But I, I guess I don't really know why people are so dependent on on external forms of caffeine to to like live. (laughs) Well, and I'll tell you that I had to stop drinking coffee when I began to have stomach issues like a few months ago. And so I had to stop. So the first few days are really rough because your body like wakes up in a foggy state and reaches out for its freaking thunderbolt of caffeine. Uh, And then, but then after a few days, I realized, oh, the body, what it does is it, it, it feels cleaner and it feels energized. It finds like, it doesn't feel, the one negative aspect I think of caffeine is that it can give you this jittery, it kind of goes the other way. It gives you too much energy to the point of anxiety sometimes where your leg yeah, starts definitely. moving and you just don't feel like you can't concentrate because because you're caffeinated. So yeah, it d- yep, gives it us is. the opposite of what we want, even though it stimulates us. So the, when I experienced making tea, it became quite lovely. I love tea so much. I love herbal tea. Mm-hmm. And I mean, honestly, it's like, what am I trading? I'm trading these, this freaking be- this hot bean juice that I have to neutralize and zap with some sort of a, a bean water, like, and I and I trade Ew. that for or oat or oat water, also known as oat milk, and like and like what? Now I trade that for like a nice pot of of brewed herbs that taste like mm-hmm. different things. Like, I mean, tea is tea is so much more flavorful. It just it just won't give you the caffeine. So you have to you have to be okay with not taking caffeine. And for me, it's it's all you well can and get good. Caffeinated tea, though, and actually the the cat the type of caffeine that's typically found in black and green teas is a it can give you twice the amount of energy that a cup of coffee would, even though it's less caffeine. It's it's a different you know, a different strain of it. So I went so down that road with black teas and all I can tell you folks 
is that you might stain the crap out of your teeth. After, after. More than coffee? Yeah. After, after drinking this black tea from my tea lady in the East Village, physical graffiti shout out. Graffiti. Ooh. Um, graffiti, yeah. Great she's point. amazing. Uh, so she she comes up with her own concoction. She orders this tea that's called this black poor tea, which is fermented black tea from Asia. And I was drinking this tea. I thought I honestly had uh, had cracked the code of the morning tonic. And I was drinking this stuff. And then months later, I'm like so upset because my family keeps pointing out that my teeth look like they're cracked. And I'm like, oh no, I'm like, my teeth are cracked and my teeth are heavily stained. I go to the dentist and he uses that little polishing device that goes in a circle. And then I look in the mirror after he does that and he was able to erase all of those stains in minutes. And I was like, oh my God. I'm like, here I am thinking I cracked my teeth and that they're all stained and messed up for life. And so I I had to get off the the black tea. So you got to be careful with black tea. Um, but I wasn't yeah, that's drinking why you, it. That's why you brew it and then you ice it and then you drink it through a straw. <laughs> well, shucks, Sydney. You, you're the you're our, you're our resident tea expert. I didn't go that far. I also didn't neutralize it with bean juice, with, with water, with uh, with milk. Gross. Um, I don't know if yeah, adding milk to it helps, but. Yeah, the body does its own thing naturally. You don't have to supplement it with outside sources. And I think that's the point that Tyler was trying to make is that you muddy up the water of your own stream of consciousness when you're putting things in your body that are not natural. How hard is that, though? I mean, how hard is it in a world where we are microdosing, where marijuana is becoming legal, where where um, where people are drinking, where people drink caffeine? I mean, there's just all kinds of... When, when one stimulates out the door, another one's in, you know, it's like, we're, we're kind of always reaching for these things, you know? Um, but. I mean, but, you made an, you made an interesting comparison when you said that, uh, it, caffeine from coffee makes you jittery to the point of creating anxiety from so much energy. And I, and I, and I'm, I'm curious to see if maybe there is a correlation between that, between outside sources to try to make the body feel better than it already does on its own, um, you know, stimulants and, and whether or not that has something to do with our own anxiety that now as a society seems like tenfold from even 50 years ago, you know? I mean, yeah, on the one hand, we're marketing uh, the, the, the capitalist world is marketing the answer to all our problems in the morning. And on the other hand, um, we're, we're like too nervous to do things on our own. We're too nervous to trust the body to do things on its own. But maybe if you're listening to this podcast and you see that like this could actually lead to progress spiritually and metaphysically, um, that would be enticing enough to give it a shot. I mean, it's enticing right. enough to me. And um, so we, we'll see. That means that you're not doing it on your own anymore either. Because if, if you clean yourself, rid yourself of all those toxins in your body that, like Tyler said, are muddy in the waters for you, you're not going to be alone. You're going to be connecting to someone else on a different realm in a different wavelength, you know? <laughs> an, alien, an alien on the receiver is like, Dave. I've been waiting to speak to you. I was just waiting you to stop that fucking coffee shit, bro. <laughs> Dave. Um, so so tell me, is the story of Tyler and what was the other dude's name? Jim? James. James. Which is, is which is a, a full name for Jim, yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, are, are their stories 
are we done with their stories with the book or where are we going to next? Um, yeah. So uh, Diane, this is kind of where she takes a sharp right and we veer off into some other um, stories and things that she encountered on this six-year study uh, that's a result of this book. But um, Tyler does come full circle in the end and we'll cover that with uh, the last headline, Levitation at the Vatican. So that'll Bring be us fun. in. Bring us in, Sydney. I'll give you yeah, some like, thrilling yeah. music. Done. Done, 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 done. Yeah, guys, so welcome back. Um, Last week, as David mentioned, we covered meeting uh, James and Tyler, who are two very interesting people that Diane encountered during the six-year study. Last episode only covered two out of the seven chapters in this book. So today we're going to be covering the last five chapters, which I think I mentioned in in part one, but uh, obviously the book started out really interesting for me, and I was writing everything down because everything was just so amazing and I had to share it all. And then as, as this, this, this sharp veer that Diane took, um, as, as I was reading it, it, uh, it, it was like, okay, this is interesting. Sure. I can summarize this up pretty quickly. And my notes, my note taking got smaller, my interest also dwindled down. So, but that's okay. It's still, like I said, very good book, great read. Diane is so fun to read. She writes like a fiction writer. This is not just like, hey, I'm going to spiel, uh, spiel off some some research that I did to you. You know, everything is a story to her and uh, and the way she she tells it back to her readers. Very, well, the beginning very was so good that even mm-hmm. at half at half power and half at half interest, I don't know, even at half mast <laughs> here, <laughs> I even even with less of an intense story, I'm still excited to kind of see what she's yeah. going to talk about. Where do you go from here? Give right. us something more. Cause we hadn't really gotten into where this connects with extraterrestrials. Cause we have people who, right. we have people who are sort of on the fringe of this world who might be in like a think tank or part of programs that are attached to these Mm-hmm. Loosely, like the loose cousin government, pro- the loose government cousin projects to these, to these secret projects. Um, but we haven't quite gotten to the point where Tyler or James say that they have had an encounter. Well, they they do talk about encounters, but the, we definitely talk about personal encounters. But we haven't quite right. seen like, do they get that far with the military, or or what are they? What is their message to us about their personal experiences? Because we have Tyler who um, kind of finds his way there through tragedy and through just being a really intelligent, experienced, open individual. And then we have somebody like James who through no fault of his own has always been attached to the phenomenon. Right. And actually wants to ch- change the, the the ability to control that too. That's part of his interest in, in research. Um, yeah, you have a phenomenal memory, by the way, I just have to say. And I love how engaged you you were last week and how much you retained from this week. That's that's really cool. So um, I pulled it out of my, my subconscious <laughs> bookcase, but thank you. I thought you were going to say butthole, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, hopefully my butthole does not have, dude, I think a butthole does have a subconscious when you think about it. Like what is it doing when it's not active? It's definitely Dude, this like is why this is that's another reason why coffee is not good for you because what does that do? It goes straight to your butthole and it, it, it clogs up your, the consciousness of your butt. Your subconscious butthole just suffers. <laughs> suffers more. It has like nightmares when it's oh, you know, it's in its dormant state. Um 
Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so um, exactly what you were talking about. Where, where do aliens fit in on this? Where do personal encounters kind of fit in with how we started um, this book? And that's that's exactly what we're going to get into for the next five chapters. So I, I'm going to read off the, the title of chapter three because I thought it was a great title. And I'm going to let that lead us in. So she she um, she titled this chapter uh, "Troubles Troubles in the Field." Um, so you know, like in the field of of this this investigative work, you know, troubles right. in the field, and then a colon, and it says the war is virtual, the blood is real. Ooh. Whoa! I know, isn't that great? I really liked that. I was like, I was like, chills. there's nothing interesting about troubles in the field, and then you were like, colon. <laughs> And then you said the most crazy shit ever. What does she Speaking mean? Speaking of colons. <laughs> yeah, <What>? so <laughs> the war is virtual. The blood is real. Um, so the first thing uh, Diane brings up in this chapter is a man named Scott Brown. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He is a very well-known debunker, and he's a true believer as well. Um, he runs a Facebook group called In the Field. So that's kind of a play on words with what the, she titled this chapter. Um, and I actually looked it up, and um, it, it is a currently existing Facebook group. Um, it consists of real videographers and researchers who are involved in the UFO phenomenon. And uh, when you, you know, like the button that says, like, click to join group or whatever, um, you ha- and you have to answer some questions, uh, there's only three rules to abide by. Because I, I consider joining it as, like, a spectator, but they don't, that's not really what the group exists for. Um the group is for people who are currently like researching and photographing and posting documented evidence and that kind of thing. So I, I don't really fit in that realm, at least not yet. Um, but the three rules that you have to abide by, this was developed by Scott Brown. One, you must shoot your own footage. Two, you must, uh, you must know the basics of the phenomenon. And three, you must keep an open mind. There are no preconceived notions. We're not here to put each other down, but we are here to scientifically debunk or prove whether or not we have a UFO, UAP, um, whatever these people are documenting and researching about. So Scott Brown himself is a graphic designer. Um, that's what he does for like his his day job, I suppose. Um, and because of that, those, those tools as a graphic designer and a videographer have helped him to know uh, what is Photoshop or like a lens flare on the camera versus what is real. Nice. And so, yeah, they, he kind of, he was the one who came up with this group because he, with his past experience, he believes that he has the right eye that's looking for um, the ability to prove or disprove um, footage. And technology has gotten so much more advanced in mm-hmm. 2020 than where it was. So I bet there's some pretty amazing things you can do with Photoshop oh, yeah. and with videos. However, you got to be able to tell us if it's legitimately shot, if it's legitimately there. Like it, it reminds me of the 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 um, the Air Force videos that were released. Like these are real videos. This is really right. a device that captures them. It might look like a little blip on a screen moving fast yeah. like nonsense but if you if you can if you can trust authorities to tell us that this is real this is how big this would be this is how fast it would be going um it's a little weird to be a full-time debunker slash believer that sounds exhausting but i like i like that he's willing to take part in both 
Yeah. Yep. It's so funny that you say that because that's exactly what I was going to bring up next. Um, one of the first things that Scott told Diane when he when she was interviewing him was that he wants to forget about this whole life. He wants to walk away from it, but it's his vocation. He has no choice. This is like it. It kind of chose him in a way, and and to continue believing, he believes that debunking is part of believing. We need someone to run the 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 Leslie Keene style. Uh, Air Force guided <laughs> tests. We yeah. need someone to tell yep. us it's not this, it's not that, it's not this. Exactly. Um, people need to do it. It'd be yeah. nice if there was a database where we could just start figuring out because it's a small percentage, right? Five percent, maybe less of yeah. what's reported is is real shit that's unexplainable. Right. Small yeah. percent. Yeah, ninety five percent of it can be proved and not even a hundred percent of people who witness sightings report them only 10% do. So we're already looking at a very, very small margin. So, yeah. <laughs> so these people, they observe, they study, they document, and then they share their findings through this Facebook group, uh, which again is a private group. You have to ask to be accepted into it. Um, and I believe Diane is actually a part of it kind of as a spectator, which is something that I was initially interested in when I read about it and I looked it up. Um, so Scott, a little bit more about Scott Brown. Um, he has never had a personal encounter, but he has recurring dreams of these doctors that are examining him and, uh, they have very large heads. They don't look human to him. Um, and he has these dreams often. And he said that, um, the only way to escape is to like lift his head up off the um, examining table and like look out a window where there's a praying mantis out there outside the window that's like tapping on the window and uh, that's his that's how he escapes this dream so it, very ladies interesting and, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen we have arrived at our first mantis being I just want to <laughs> say that it, it, it's been an honor so far and, and I'm just so happy that we finally got to the mantis beings I mean mantis beings are so fun because they're not uh, like anything that we've really thought a lot about, you know, mm-hmm. but they're, they're definitely in the pantheon of the Alliance of the guardianship of the hierarchy. Yeah. They're out mm-hmm. there. That's so cool. Okay. So, yeah. so he has this dream where he sees a mantis being and it just ends there. Once he looks out, well, the that, window. that brings him out of the dream where he's on the examining table with doctors with large heads. Uh, so it's kind of, it's not a good dream. It's not a happy dream. It's, it's more of a nightmare that he's always trying to escape and it, and it's recurring. So, um, he says that he also experiences sleep paralysis. Um, and this especially happened after he moved into the new house with his current wife. Um, he believes that his house is haunted and I don't know if he still lives there to this day, but this was at the time that he was being interviewed and he had his first book encounter, which was the term that we talked about in part one of this, uh, where you you pick up a book and it kind of changes, you get that epistemological shock and it kind of changes the way your whole being feels about the future or about things that you were previously unknown to, um, beliefs and such. So his, his book encounter was Howard Bloom's Out There, uh, The Government's Secret Quest for Extraterrestrials. That's what the book is called. There is a person who belonged to the group her name was Allison Cruz, and Scott defines her as a refugee of the phenomenon. <laughs> she uh, she was called a liar and a hoaxer from all the photos that she was posting to that Facebook group, um, so much so that her computer was hacked, loaded with viruses, um, and people just thought that she was a, a big fake. 
again, her name is Allison Cruz. She she lived out on farmland that uh, there was a bunch of paranormal activity going on in general there. And she, she did that thing that people do where they get really great um, photo-taking equipment and videographer equipment. And she was posting all these things that she was finding in the sky and on the ground and things going missing. Um, she began studying in 2008 when her daughter saw a red light outside of her window and she said, mommy, why is this plane so close to the window? And turned out it wasn't a plane. It was uh, a UFO and she, they could see it, but they could never photograph it. And this led down to that deep, dark path that she, she went has on. photographs. Uh huh. Yep. And um, she said that she could see like there were there were tons of things happening to her. One of them was like that planets would be twinkling in the sky and they would fade away, like they'd fade in and fade out, and they were very close, like not what you would think of as like a star when you see a planet, like just a really bright star. They were they were very close, and she was aware that they were planet uh, that they were planets. Um, she saw many more sight sightings and uh, no one believed the stuff she was posting. So um, Scott was actually someone who she, they ended up working together so that um, he, he went out to her ranch and could prove that this stuff was happening. But again, they were just not able to photograph anything. And um, very but she has, she has photographs up in the group. I really want to look into this. Yeah. I want to look into it too. I, you can't see any of the posts unless you're a member of the group. So that, You'd have to like inquire maybe directly with Scott. It does say that he is he's the admin of the group. Like his name is right there. So it's kind of we cool. have to join this group. <laughs> we must we must infiltrate and and just so we can observe. Yeah. I mean, I'll go out there with a camera every once in a while. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I I'd be interested. Um, but yeah, if you want to reach out to him, you, you got his info now. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so the the Facebook group is called In the Field. In the Field, yep. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So, and this woman's name is Allison Cruz or Allison Dela Cruz. Uh, Allison Cruz, uh, C R U S. With a wire, uh, uh, Allison A L L I S O N Cruz C R U S E. Okay. And Diane said that when she heard about Allison's story, it kind of reminded her of Saint Teresa, who. In, you know, back in biblical times was referred to as a mystic, um, but she was also a saint. And uh, there is a depiction of her that you can look up that has many sculptures built of it or, or pictures painted. It's called the Ecstasy of Teresa. Um, the, I'll tell you the story first, and then I'll explain what uh, what the statues and the paintings look like. Um, so an angel appeared to St. Teresa in bodily form. Teresa described him as a short beautiful man surrounded in flames. He held a golden spear in his hand and the iron tip was on fire. And what he did was he came down to Teresa. He didn't say anything to her, but he stuck the uh, iron tip that was on fire, the end of the spear, into Teresa, into her stomach repeatedly. And uh, what that left her with was what she interpreted as the love of God. Um, it's what Diane referred to as religious ecstasy. Um, and, and Diane was making the comparison that some modern reports are similar to this, this feeling afterward of, of what, um, St. Teresa would have experienced as religious ecstasy. Uh, and that's kind of what she compared the, the Allison story about, about how, um, she was overcome with the, the phenomenon in that sense. Uh, unfortunately there are no statues, no paintings that accurately depict 
this, the exact description that um, St. Teresa makes, they had to make it look believable. So they changed the, the short man who was on fire into the shape of like a little cherub, right? So a, like a baby angel. Um, and Oh, that this was uh, religious iconography. And yes. I just want to say that this reminds me, it's obviously a parallel with the Holy Lance, the Lance of Long Island, right. the Spear of Destiny, mm-hmm. the Holy Spear that is known to pierce the side of Jesus as he hung on the cross during crucifixion, yep. which that spear has been known is thought to have mystical powers. It's in, it's in a few movies too, but uh, it's strange how that, is replicated with this myth. Right. Um, stop spearing people, but okay. <laughs> stop filling them with the love of God. <laughs> I really like that though. That's really interesting. Yeah. That that would be. Because to me though, that, that would terrify me. Like someone piercing me with a burning spear. I would not interpret that as something lovely, but maybe in the, in the situation it seemed less menacing. <laughs> Yeah, what's the what is it there? It's like you think would you think that you're dying and then in the moment of death? I mean, Jesus was already dying and then the spear pierces him and we're we're making up and not making up, but it's a it's a it's a story surrounding what might have if it really did happen was probably really painful. But right. um you're looking at a you're you're already dying and and then and then you get pierced with this holy holy moment in a way Mm -hmm. so maybe you maybe it's a moment where you glimpse the other side while you're dying oh yeah you know yeah moment where you glance that this is not the end you know that you are connected to god somehow maybe in Um, a way it could be like an out-of-body experience so that like your your nerve endings aren't shooting up to your brain saying ow i'm being stabbed this hurts it's more of a an experience it's not about that's the way really that it great. feels. Yeah. That's really, really great. Yeah, I love that. That's that that might be what it is. You have an outer body experience mm-hmm. while you're dying and or while you're while while you have this insane pain. And you hear that from victims of yeah. sort of traumatic events. There's a moment where they leave their body and they can kind of see themselves there. Um interesting. Yeah. So the ecstasy of Teresa, I really, really like that. Yeah. Um yeah. Where where do we go with that? So in so then we we're looking at different depictions of it. It becomes a cherub. Interestingly enough, in John Keel's Mothman, I was just reading that angels were never depicted as having wings until art right. came into play. Which is ah, really crazy. Interesting. Like the idea that we're hmm. talking about so what we're just talking about special beings or humans with right. hybrid like powers, humans with special abilities or, or, or special beings. Yeah. But like a little tiny man on fire, that wouldn't look fun. It wouldn't be fun to sculptor. So yeah, the, the artist envisions his own version, which is a, a beautiful little cherub with wings. At yeah, one little, point, some dude started baby. drawing some weird dude started drawing like babies with wings. And then the other dudes were like, well, I'm not going to sell any paintings unless I draw them as babies with wings. So then they all started. Or maybe he was just such a bad artist. And Teresa said like, it was a short man on fire. And he's like, okay. And he draws this little tiny man so little that he looks like a baby. And he draws the fire around him like this. But it's like, all of a sudden she's like, dude, that looks like a baby with wings. No, Bob, it's a man. It's a man on fire. This is a baby. Our, Art is up to your own interpretation. Well, I just, you know, I'm interested in drawing babies with wings. 
That's my style. Oh, God. Man. I've always drawn babies with wings. Yay. Just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> so Diane, um, Diane loves to make these religious comparisons, and I told you in part one she does this throughout the entire book, and and we'll we'll cover more of those as as we uh, get into these personal experiences. Um, but Pasoka mentions uh, a friend of hers, an experiencer. His name was Eddie, which I'm assuming that he is also part of the Invisible College because he's not going by his full name. She just said his name is Eddie. He's an experiencer who uh, he his his main uh, vocation of research is to compare UFO sightings um, to biblical references. Um, so he's had many personal UFO sightings himself, Eddie. Um, he said that whenever he sees them, he's always seen like 15 of them at a time. Um, and his wife has seen them too. They've tried photographing them. Uh, a quote that she said from Eddie was that, uh, and I think we brought this up a little bit in part one, but um, Eddie mentions that Jesus was taken up on a saucer and he will come back down on one too. Uh, of course he will. What, what is which he? Is kind what is of he an interesting. amateur? He's going to be flying down yeah, on right? like one UFO on, under each foot. Like he's going to be holding UFOs in his hands. Balancing one on his head, like there's going to be like rockets. He's no, I think the I think the fact that that he's made the comparison that Jesus will be on a UFO at all is is kind of the the, the thing to think about, uh, especially for you know Christianity and like oh man, we don't we don't think about UFOs. We think about like Jesus coming down on on a ray of of light, a beam, um, a, a halo, you know, something that is cylindrical shaped and <laughs> whatever. Like, we're not but into science this fiction, is exactly man. The point we're, we're, we're into yeah. we're, this right. is Jesus. This isn't Jules Verne, bro. I know, but it's like, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, all we have to do is admit that we don't truly know the nature of godliness. That's all we have to do. We yeah. just have to admit that we don't truly yeah. know how it works behind the scenes of like the most electrical, spiritual, powerful layers of this universe. We don't know what that's right. about. We don't know if it's technology. Right. We don't know. I don't think it's only technology. I do 100% believe that there are beings that are advanced on spiritual levels that go beyond, you know? And what does that mean if you're advanced on a spiritual level? You are, you're, you're as a species, you're, you're, you're more in synergy. You're more connected. You can, you can, do things that are incredible. The things that human beings are able to do when they work together are incredible. Imagine if they were tied together by some form of, of, of code, of faith, of, of, of morality. The things that we're missing in this world where we're creating things just to sell more hamburgers, like we're, we're, we're missing that spiritual component. So we can look to, we can look to like the, the behind the scenes as let's just, let's just agree that we're not quite sure how Jesus was so powerful, or we're not quite sure what he was connected to. We don't know exactly how this works, you know? Um, and if we have all these historical scriptures of all these uh, miraculous events happening, why wouldn't they still be happening 2,000 years later in our modern world? And maybe what they were depicting then is just an exaggerated version of the stuff that still happens today, the phenomena that we encounter. I love it. And I love, I love that this is an author who's not afraid to connect us to scripture Yeah, because this is her forte. So we're still with the Facebook group. We're still with Scott who, who sounds like he could be cool because he went out to help Allison 
And um, then we got to Eddie, uh, who's who's having way too many encounters to lead a normal life. Uh, but it's cool that his wife sees them. Yeah. I mean, I'm not convinced that it's this phenomenon where just like you have certain receptors and you can see that end of the spectrum. No. This stuff can appear sometimes to everybody. It can appear a lot more to some people. Um, so where do we go from Eddie? Yeah, so the last little thing here I wanted to add is that Diane mentions a man named Michael J.S. Carter, um, who argued that the uh, the Bible is a history of human contact with extraterrestrials, and he mentioned this in his Whoa. book called Alien Scriptures. Um, so that's a, it's his word, folks, not ours. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that is that's another example of comparing the the UFO phenomenon to um, to biblical scriptures. So that, that was just the, the last thing I wanted to co- uh, comment on that. Michael J.S. Carter. Got it. Pretty simple name. And uh, this takes us into our next headline, Synchronicities in the UFO Event. Um, so Diane, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, Diane encounters several synchronicities throughout the book. And I, I wrote quite a few of them down. Um, but she uses the term exactly how we have been. And uh, uh, they're, they're pretty revelatory. Um, they're pretty impactful. Uh, and this was my Beautiful. favorite one. So this happened to Pasolka when she was in her, um, she was getting her PhD. So she was still in, in college at the time. Um, this happened to her on New Year's Eve. Uh, she was reading a book by Niche. Nietzsche? 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 As you do. Yeah, right. Of course. This, this is the difference between PhD humans and regular humans. You'll just be chilling with a glass of wine reading a book by Nietzsche. Yeah, is it pronounced Nietzsche? I have no clue how to pronounce I, it. I think it's pronounced Nietzsche. I'm going to say Nietzsche. So she's having synchronicities, which we are huge yeah. uh, fans of. Yeah. So this was the big one for her. This happened on New Year's Eve. She was reading a book about Nietzsche. For, for her schoolwork, and she slams the book down because she was extremely frustrated by all the misogynistic viewpoints that Nietzsche was covering. And um, she reached out to a friend who was in the program with her, and her friend was like, oh, you have to read this book. This this will help you explain why Nietzsche is the way that he is. Um, and so she she got it from her friend, and, and she put it on her book her nightstand next to her, her bed, and she falls asleep. She, she's suddenly awakened by all these fireworks going off. It's midnight on New Year's Eve. I mean, this also shows you, like, how lame people are when they're getting their PhD. It's New Year's Eve, and she's, like, inside reading a book on Nietzsche and falling asleep before midnight and being awoken by fireworks. Um, so she's, she's awake again. It's midnight. Happy New Year, she says to herself. And she picks up that book that her friend gave her um, from the nightstand, and she just opens it up. And she opens it up to a page where uh, Nietzsche is talking about New Year's Eve. And how that night transformed his entire life. And he decided to declare his life affirmations on New Year's Eve every year from, from, from the year that he discovered that. <laughs> and so she's like, this is weird because it's New Year's Eve. And I am so frustrated with Nietzsche. And I just picked open this new book. And it opens up to him literally saying, I confirm my life affirmations every year on New Year's Eve. So she keeps reading. And she gets to the next chapter. And the chapter is titled Synchronicities while she's having one (laughs) and she's like oh weird this is so weird (laughs) and uh basically nisha spent the whole chapter saying don't ascribe any deep meaning to synchronicities they happen all the time it's how the world functions it's an ever-present reality that we are in and uh i just i i loved that whole meaning because um 
Diane was having this weird experience personally. She was having a synchronicity within a synchronicity and she was kind of freaking out. And then the whole point of the chapter was to be like, these happen all the time. It's the way our world works. Don't freak out. <laughs> and, which, which, we which we've heard before. discussed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, we're, I think we're on the same page with believing that it is a natural, one of the coolest natural yeah. parts of our lives. Yep. And I think tapping into them is one of the great awarenesses you can develop yeah. um, as a result of at least one of the initial awarenesses totally. you can develop. Totally. So I, I have one more synchronicity for you um, right now. And then if you want, we can take a little break and share our own synchronicities if you've been keeping Yeah, we haven't done We yeah, didn't we do that last time. Let's do it. Okay, cool. So um, Diane mentions another man named David Stinnett. Uh, he had a sighting, um, a UFO sighting of a gunmetal gray aircraft. It was above a back road that he was driving in in New Jersey. Um, he tried to pull over and photograph it, but it would not show up on his camera. Um, so he he drove home. He was so frustrated, um, and he wanted to learn more about it. And he pulled out this VHS that was, like, under a mess of papers on his desk. Um, and it was a VHS of Bruce Cornett, who was describing an aircraft that he had previously seen. And this this VHS was, like, 30 years old, right? And Bruce Cornett was describing this gunmetal gray aircraft that he had that he had seen. And it, he described it exactly to a point exactly the way that the um, craft looked to David when he had seen it in his car. So that was just another synchronicity that, that Diane wrote down, and I, I thought that was a cool one to share. Um, and David, actually, the, has a connection to the In the Field Facebook group. He visited Allison on her ranch, and he confirmed it's the real deal. Um, he saw orbs there. When he visited, Homeland Security was out on her ranch. <laughs> um so like, yeah, yeah he, we're we're trying to figure this out too. <laughs> yeah, he had an experience out there as well. So, oh shoot, I actually have one more synchronicity, and then we'll do ours. Give me, okay, give me it. So, um, in the I next chapter, uh, Diane talks about um, how she was a consultant in the horror movie The Conjuring, the one that came out in 2012. Ooh, yeah, not just any horror movie, one of the best horror one movies of the, the best last few ones. Years. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um, the, the whole movie is about Catholic culture in a way, even though it's about a specific haunting in a house. She was consulted by Chad and Carrie Hayes, who were the, the two people working on this movie. And um, Pasoka herself had written about success in religious movies in the past. And this was before Chad and Carrie came to consult with her. So that's kind of like a reverse synchronicity that she had already written tons of articles about uh, religious movies and success in sharing them. Uh, and then when Chad and Carrie reached out to her, they mentioned when they found out that she was uh, a scholar of religion that their last movie prior to The Conjuring was called The Reaping, which it has Hilary Swank in it, who plays a female scholar of religion. So she was like exactly, it, basically that movie was about her before they even knew that Diane existed. So kind of interesting. Yeah, crazy, crazy connections between things yeah. where we're doing, like, my brain can't wrap its mind around this because it's not designed right. to, right? But it's like <laughs> you're, you come upon a project. I mean, it just, it just shows you in that situation, it shows you that there is, there are other senses that we have. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're drawing inspiration for their story from their imagination, but maybe that imagination is tapping into the future mm-hmm. where they meet her. You know, maybe um, the idea that she would be reading something about niche 
that uh, that he is experiencing the same thing she is experiencing, where the book is actually talking to her. That happens to me where with Philip K. Dick sometimes, where I'm literally experiencing something that the author is talking about. Yeah. Like, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. Like, is that it would make a lot more sense if it was a simulation, like a matrix, because it's like the game is messing with you. Mm-hmm. You're like reaching like your, a glitch. Your, your, <sighs> Someone else or someone else is like kind of tapping on the glass where you are. Praying mantis. Like, or, or, you know, praying mantis foot. Tap, tap. What do you call praying mantis's lens? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It sticks. Appendage? It's claws. Yeah, I mean, I can't help but think that there is some sort of a sense of humor that the universe has. Mm. I mean, it's easy to say, but, you know, the universe is alive. Like it's alive. Like we are alive. We're a part of it, but it's alive. Yeah. So it's like you're drawing, if you're coloring a picture and you draw the, the, the sky and the people and the mountains, it's a very basic picture you're drawing, but then you don't ever, it never occurs to you that the paper is alive and actually controlling everything. Like, so the universe could be alive and writing its own stories, wow. you know, so that's bonkers. So of course, things are connected because it's all connected and it's all it's conscious. It, the universe is conscious itself. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard, but it's so cool. Yeah. So cool. I mean, it's on a very basic level. It's the coolest stuff that we can sort of continue to interact with. So should we share some synchronicities with our listeners? We should. Let's dive in. Okay, I'll go first. So my first one, this is kind of cheating, but it's on top of another one that's really good. Uh, that's the best one okay. that I've had. Um, so so I was so there's this apartment that I show, and in that apartment that I show every once in a while, there's a random poster up in the apartment because it's a furnished apartment. That is a French absinthe poster from the 60s or who knows? Maybe it's even earlier. Like the the drink, the the green fairy drink? 1900s. Yeah, exactly. The green fairy drink. There's this classic absinthe poster where the woman's like naked and she looks incredible. And like she's holding an absinthe drink and it's like godly. And it's a poster that I cherished in college. And I just so happen to walk in and it's like my – favorite college posters like haunting me oh that's amazing oh, i love that i think that's um, a good sign july 24th 2 20 p.m oh i forgot for to it. mark down times that's okay all right so this was the first uh synchronicity that happened to me after the last time we talked about them um it, i don't know if you've seen the the b movie drag me to hell but it's a it's a fantastic b movie horror movie i loved it i need to watch it again um but it's great. I, it's one of my favorites too. Sam Ramy's one of his last yeah. greatest movies. Yep, yep, yep. I was talking about it with one of my friends who also loves horror movies who didn't enjoy the movie. And we ended up having like a 25-minute conversation about it that night. And I was just so perplexed at why he didn't like it. And then he finally admitted at the end of the conversation, he was like, yeah, honestly, I didn't really pay that much attention because we were with a group and like everyone was talking. I was like, bro, okay, you Uh. can't even have an opinion about the movie then if you didn't sit down and watch it. (laughs) Um, But so it made me think about it again. And then I looked it up to see if it was any on any streaming services, if, if I could just watch it or put it on a queue or anything and 
I was having trouble finding it, so I was like, ah, eh, whatever. And I went to bed. And the next morning, um, Facebook always notifies me of my, like, Facebook memories. Um, and so every once in a while, I'll click on them. Usually, I ignore them, but this day was like, I don't know. I'll just look at them. And I was scrolling down, and there was a memory from, um, I think it was from 2011, uh, that on this day, which probably was about, like, um, about, like, 10 days ago. <laughs> so maybe, like, on August 1st, We'll say August 1st, 2011, uh, you posted this on Facebook and it was a quote and it just said, I don't want your cat, you dirty pork queen. And I was like, oh my God, that is from Drag Me to Hell because I will never forget that quote. It's like my favorite quote from the movie. I don't want your cat, you dirty pork queen. Because that's um, when, the, when the person's what possessed if- by um, the, the goat thing, the Lamia. And uh, yeah, it came up on my Facebook memories as something I posted almost 10 years ago. <laughs> wow. I couldn't believe Weird. it. Yeah, that was really, that was, that was a good one. That's a good one. I don't want your cat, you dirty pork queen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and it, there was nothing so else funny, on the Facebook post. Like good. literally it's just the quote. It didn't say like, loved this movie or like tagged anybody in it. It just said the quote. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. I want to watch that movie again also. Oh, so good. Um, so, okay. So here is the most powerful synchronicity that I've experienced in a long Ooh, time. Ooh, okay. Um, it happened, uh, actually it happened the day, this This is the first one that I had on the way of, of recording them again. Actually, this one happened before the absinthe one. So it was, um, Okay, so what what I did basically was I was uh, showing apartments, and then I, um, I my job I was just doing my job, and I said to myself, I, I heard a voice in my head that said, "You are going to see a sign today." Ooh. Um. So I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna see a sign." On my way home, I'm gonna see a sign. Like a for sale so sign. I, <laughs> No, <laughs> like a, a sign of God. Like a, a universe so I, sign. Yeah. All right. Um, the universe winking at me through objects and or people. So um, I'm on my way home, walking home. I'm walking through on the same road on Broadway that I'm uh, – is it Broadway? No, I'm walking down Houston um, the way I always am to get to the train. And I always walk up through here. I've walked through this way a million times. Yeah. When I look up at this building that I've probably walked by a million times and I see a gold cherub statue with a top hat that's looking at me. I know exactly what it, you're talking about. You're, you're talking about the, like an, the path train outside the like square? An, it looks like an angel. No, it's not the path train. It's on Houston, near Houston and Broadway. Oh, yeah. It's Ac- on Houston. Across Across from like the Adidas yep. uh, store slash headquarters I, there. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know that little dude. I've never seen a golden cherub angel with a top hat statue in my life before <laughs> in that location. And it was literally the most crazy statue I could have seen. And um, And actually, here's the weird synchronicity with that statue. Because it is... Like we said, cherubs are uh, symbolic for angels. And here's this sort of New York-looking angel on top of this building that I've never seen in my life. And, like, right before that, that morning, 
uh, rewind to that morning. I had a conversation uh, with my girlfriend where we were talking about how we were in awe of the doctors who, the vets who helped my cat. Yeah. Because my cat was super sick for like a long time. And like, um, and then I was just marveling at how the hospital, which, which, um, which, technically was only going to see my cat once. They ended up seeing her like a few times and they ended up saving her in the end. Mm -hmm. And like, and I'm like, I was like amazed at how these vets have taken care of my animal. It's like crazy to me, like how they were able to do that and save her. And then, and then uh, my girlfriend said the words, she said, well, it's almost as if Gizma, uh, my cat, it's almost as if my cat has its own angels. And I was like, wow. I was like, it's almost as if the cat, I was like, wow, maybe certain animals, certain souls that are animals are so noble or they're so special. Yeah. Uh, Maybe animals are capable of having their own angels, their own sort of shepherd, supernatural, spiritual, invisible shepherds through this world. Right. So, you know, it's the doctors that are the angels, but it's also whatever force seems to be watching over my cat that keeps her alive. And the circumstances of my cat even being alive in the first place, because she was found with an exposed elbow on the verge of death before a hurricane and rescued at that very moment. Wow. Uh, right before death. Uh, and then, uh, like, she landed in my apartment, which was, like, yards away from where she was found about to die. Like, she definitely has angels. So I was like, interesting. So then fast forward, I see this in this incredible statue of an angel – And then fast forward to that exact evening, I'm standing, I have the TV on, there's some weird YouTube commercial that's playing and I walk out of the room and I hear the word Alma. Alma? Alma? Is that you? Like something literally like that. Okay. And this is the name of my teacher, the most important person in my life that uh, second to my grandmother, basically, who passed, who's passed away in my life yeah. is my college professor slash like just teacher slash like the person who basically got me through college who Your passed away. Mentor. Yes. And she passed away. And like that night when we're talking, when angels is a theme of my day in a very strange way. And I literally asked and or told myself like or heard the voice that said I was going to see a sign. I hear the word. Imagine hearing the words of your dead, the name of your dead teacher just called out in the middle of the night through a commercial. Oh, yeah. Alma? Alma. And then and then it, it was like, dude, the commercial says her name a bunch of times <laughs> through a little girl's voice. Wow. And I'm like, whoa. So I walk back and I see that it's a trailer for this show called Tales from the Loop. Um, So that was the most powerful sort of day of synchronicity fun I've had in a while. The only thing that would have made that better is if your teacher also wore a a top hat. (laughs) She didn't wear top hats, but she wore the craziest jewelry you've ever seen. There you go. Over the top. Giant (laughs) objects. Listen, pun queen. Take it easy over there. Uh, (laughs) Uh, it was, so this was on July 23rd between 5 and 8 p.m. Awesome. So go for it. That's awesome. I Actually, I can make a connection to the top hat angel if Gizma's angel wears a top hat or if it's Alma in a top hat. It's because Gizma has a tuxedo on, so she's missing her top hat. Interesting. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I like it. Yeah. 
So what else you got for me? You got any other okay. wacky universe wings? Yeah, this is a good one. So um, this was not an important part of the book, but um, Diane, Diane, well, I mean, it is an important part, and we're about to cover it, um, an entire chapter on movies and how um, the mechanisms of belief can be changed, you know, like just the same as I talked about that virtual reality um, uh, game creator who was like having trouble differentiating his memories from real or whether they were in the virtual reality game, um, that the same thing can happen to us with movies and your suspension of, be- of belief is, is, um, exists to like, you know, it, it can infiltrate your memories and change the way you see things. So, um, one of the examples sure. was that Diane brings up the movie Saboteur, which is an old movie from like the forties. It's an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Hitchcock. Yeah, exactly. Saboteur. And, um, I was like, Saboteur, huh? And I, I thought about the word and I was like, I, I mean, I, I understand what it means. Like someone who, engages in sabotage, but I, I was just thinking about it. I was like, that's such a cool word. And then, um, I finished my reading for the night and I went over to Kyle and we were finishing watching Ozark. We were watching like two, um, we were on season three of Ozark on Netflix. It's really good show by the way. Um, and so we turned it on and we were watching it and, um, the main character did this crazy thing and Kyle looked at me and he goes, he goes, um, man, he is such a saboteur. And I was like, what did you just say? Because <laughs> I've never heard wow. that word come out of Kyle's mouth before. And he was like, I said saboteur. And I was like, that is so strange. <laughs> so I just read about wow. that word and I thought about how cool a word it is. And then I came over to watch TV with you and you said the word. <laughs> so. Now is that, that sounds to me like synchronicity, but sometimes that happens to me with my girlfriend where I think it's like, telepathy like we read totally. each other's minds yeah sometimes. yeah 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 and, you, um, and yeah like we're on the same level so it yeah i didn't say the yeah. word out loud but yeah some something in there like the word transferred but he may over have time. he may have yanked it out of your mind right. somehow yeah um but uh you know what i only remember the beginning scene of that movie i don't really remember the rest i don't know if i saw the rest i yeah i've i have not seen it but it's a good old black um, and white film yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's black and white, but of course it's awesome looking because Hitchcock gave a shit about the way that he filmed every single moment. Yeah. Um, That really makes me ask the the philosophical question, can you be a good filmmaker if you're not anal? I don't think so. Hmm. I really don't think so. There we go about Um, keeping your butthole clear again. It all leads somewhere. Being anal is the key to to good art sometimes. (laughs) so, okay, so, okay, so my next ones are going to be quick, fast, and probably not synchronicities, but they are kind of fun. Okay. Um, and I won't necessarily give dates because that's silly, but basically uh, July 24th at 2.55 p.m. Uh, I'm giving a date. <laughs> so I was getting a sandwich and I look over and in, instead of I'm waiting for my sandwich and I'm looking out through the window and I see this weird graffiti on the wall across then the building across the street. And I see an ankh there, which is like a cross, but it's an ancient Egyptian, Egyptian ankh, yeah. right? And I'm wearing an ankh. I'm like, whoa, that's cool. Uh, nice. Okay. Kind of cool. Not a synchronicity necessarily, but it's interesting. Wrote it down. Like I said, you got to write this stuff down yeah. um, to, to find the real ones. I, I The other day, it's like 11 p.m. I'm like just looking out. I look, happen to look out my window while I see a light flash, just a flash twice through this, through the building across the street. 
and I see the, the, the silhouette of a woman's body and it very creepily, the light turns on, off, on, off. Ooh, and wow. I see her body in the window staring out. Uh, very strange. I hate But that. it's just that moment where I happen to look up. What, what was she doing? I have no idea. It was creepy. It was creepy, but it was so fast and it was over. Hmm. So I'm not sure what that was. And my next one that I have written makes no sense, but it's kind of funny. It says July 30th, 7 p.m. Order a burger, video burgers all the time, 210 cat video. <laughs> Wait, so you see videos, what? like videos or commercials of burgers? I order a burger and then there's a video of a burger that occurs at the same time. That's got to be the biggest yeah. conspiracy of all time. Right. And then and then I see, okay, so, so 210 is a significant number to me that I see all the time now. Oh. Uh, okay, whatever. Uh, oh, here is a good one. I just read four in a row. All right, I'm going to read one more and then I'm going to stop. Okay. So, okay. So I'm sitting, uh, I'm sitting in, uh, my girlfriend's apartment. We're talking about stuff. I get an email from a kid named Cameron. Uh, it's an email. He wants to see an apartment. His name is Cameron. I put the, there happens to be, I put the email and the phone down. I just looked at that email and I look over and I say to my girlfriend, I say, Hey, I was like, what's the name of that little boy? Cause there's a little toddler in the, in her, in my girlfriend's apartment that her roommate's friend's son is there. And I'm like, Hey, okay. what's the name of that little, what's the name of that little boy? And she says, Cameron. So she says the word Cameron. The second I put down the phone that says the word Cameron, I just was looking at an email Ooh, yeah, from somebody named one. Cameron. So what else you got? Do you find any other good ones? Yeah, I have uh, I have four more. Good. So uh, you did four in a row. I'll do four in a row. Give them to me. <laughs> um, my friend did my nails uh, about two weeks ago, and she has like uh, a whole gel like manicure set, and she has stamps and fun stuff. And so I was like, just do whatever you want. And then we decided we came up with um, that you know that de- that design on the styrofoam cup from the '90s. It's like blue and purple, like zigzaggies. Love it. Yeah, it's the it's the fuck yeah, cherry so symbol. I, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that. Um, I was like, okay, let's do let's do something like that. Or just, you know, like use that as your inspiration, as that cup. And she's like, okay. So she did my nails and then she had to go to work. So I, I went back home and um, I get a Snapchat from her like 30 minutes after she had left. And I, I open it up and she's on the bus to work and she just zooms into this smashed styrofoam cup on the floor. And it's the, <laughs> it's the cup with the symbol that she just did my nails that based on. That cup is still out there, man. <laughs> Exactly. And that's what we were talking about. I forgot to mention that, but we were like, oh yeah, I remember that cup from the nineties, but like, is it still exist today? And I was like, I'm sure it does. There's just lots of other cups now too. So you don't see it as much. And then she freaking saw it smooshed on the, on the floor of a bus. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I want that cup. Yeah, that's a good one. Here's another good one. So uh, for my, I, I, I make a ditty a day during the quarantine. Um, I, I was trying to find a backtrack for this ditty that I wanted to make f- um, for putting on the Ritz, but I wanted the the specific version from Young Frankenstein, which I don't I don't know if you remember that scene, but he uh, Gene Wilder like brings his creation into the theater and they do a little tap dancing together, and uh, it's it's really funny. And so I was going to do it with my friend. Um, with a specific friend who's like a lot taller than me and is also a tap dancer. And happens so I to look like Frankenstein. Thing to do. No, I'm just kidding. 
and he does not look like Frankenstein. But, uh, um, and then I also, I put together a Saturday sing-along every once in a while, and this uh, past Saturday was movie soundtracks. And my friend, uh, my other friend, this is a different friend now, who I did not contact about putting on the Ritz, um, contacted me, and, and they were previously doing Footloose, and they were like, you know what, I think I'm going to change my song. I want to do some cool makeup, so I'm going to do half of my face as Frankenstein, and I'm going to do putting on the Ritz. And I just had to, like, put my phone down, because I was like, what? the heck it was literally as I was trying to search for a backtrack to put in on the Ritz and was contacting a different friend about being in the video with me that he contacted me synchronicities so, like you they they play with you all the time yeah. <laughs> um the best part is that he didn't end up changing his song because he couldn't find a backtrack <laughs> amazing that uh, was a diabolical so, yeah, laugh. did um, you end up finding a backtrack no I, I, I scrapped the idea because I couldn't find a good backtrack and I didn't want to play piano for it. backtrack um, proof. Yeah, exactly. Which is fine. It's fine. I mean, I, I could have paid like $15 for one, but I was like, dude, this is for like a 20-second clip. I'm not going to do Speaking that. Speaking of uh, <laughs> um, movies that I have to watch again, I have to watch that movie again. Oh, absolutely. I own it. That's like that's a Whereas classic. Whereas some people have seen one. that movie a hundred times. I've only seen parts of it right. like once. So... I, oh, I, it's I'm so in, good. I'm and actually, treat, the musical is even better. Um, if you ever get a chance, see the musical. It is so funny. I'm sure it's, it's so just good. as good Mel, Mel because it doesn't have, uh, oh my God. It, I, there's no way, well, my point is there's no way it could be just as good because it has doesn't have Gene Wilder. Right. It doesn't have him himself in it, but uh, it has the character in it. Right. So the character lives on. So two more synchronicities here. Kyle and I, we've been going back and forth about visiting home. Um, our homes are, are back in the Midwest. Uh, my family is in Omaha, Nebraska, and his is in Iowa, uh, right on the border. And we've been considering flying back home, so but it just that seems reversed, so complicated. Because your family is not from Nebraska, is it? My family lives in Omaha, Nebraska, but I'm from Iowa. We're both oh, from Iowa, but what? his family's still there and mine is no longer there. Okay, yeah. I thought you reversed <laughs> that. I'm like, no, Sydney, your family is not from Nebraska. They're not from there, but that's where they are cool. currently living. <laughs> so do you do you risk your lives to go? Right. That that's what we keep going back and forth on, like whether or not like because he has he has points with um uh United, but United is filling up their planes right now. And I was like, do not take a United flight. It's not safe right now. They're filling all their middle seats. Like, I don't want to fly with United. And so then we were like, are we going to fly separate? Are we going to fly to different cities? Because I couldn't even find a nonstop flight to Omaha. And I was like, oh, I really don't want to have a layover. I'm already getting on a plane, which is somewhere I don't want to be. Then we considered, well, maybe we can just drive and rent a car. And like, yeah, it will, it's going to take 18 hours to drive there. But, you know, maybe we can make some sightseeing out of it and make it like a little I thought trip. about doing the same, yeah. Yeah, we, we just considered it. And then we kind of passed it off and whatever. And then I was cleaning out my email that night. And uh, there was an email from New York Times saying, if you still want to visit your loved ones, it might be safer to consider driving to them. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, that is creepy. Just so you uh, know. So, yeah, I wrote that one down. Yeah, right. Did you guys figure out what you're <laughs> um, doing? We haven't decided okay. yet. We're, we won't be going home till the end of August, but we need I'm, to I'm decision. part of, I'm thinking about the same plan to visit some of my family, but I'm also like, I haven't driven a car in like, six to seven years so i don't know oh wow i mean driving a car is not that hard especially once you get it, out of the city still. no no it's easier than remembering how to ride a bike which people say you never forget to do but right if you haven't been on a bike in a while it 
it's definitely something. Well, and you, if you haven't driven, are you going to drive 18 hours, like, out of nowhere? Right. Um, right. <laughs> what else you got for me? Oh, so this is the last one. So Kyle, um, he sang Pure Imagination for the sing-along on Saturday, uh, the song from Willy Wonka. He, he just loves that song, and um, he really wanted to do it. And I was like, great, let's do it. And so he did it, and everyone was like, oh, he's so cute because he's not much of a singer, and he's never participated before. But this week he was like, I'm going to do it because I love that song. So he did it, and it was awesome, and I'm so glad he did it. And um, one of my friends who attended the sing-along right after it ended that night texted me and was like, I just turned on my TV and Willy Wonka is on, and it just started at the beginning of that song. Awesome. <laughs> and I was like, that is so cool. Uh, so, yeah, that was on TV this past Saturday. And that was my last synchronicity. That's a violation, Sydney, because that's a friend synchronicity. That's not yours. I'm just joking. That's awesome. Don't rob us of your friend <laughs> I mean, I synchronicities. Yeah, you were a part of it. I was part of him singing it and putting it together. And he, And the friend texted me. He didn't. Like, tell Kyle. He texted me and was like, tell Kyle I just turned on the TV. So it went through me. So it's my synchronicity, too. <laughs> very, 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 very cool. Um, God, I love your synchronicities. They're, they're, uh, they're so cool. And that, that should be on a T-shirt. God, I love your synchronicities. <laughs> oh, but then are you insinuating that God has the synchronicities and that you appreciate him sending them down? For Maybe, you? but not really, because if, if anybody knew the true context, it would be us saying that to each other. Um, right. So, all right. So I'll just give you the last few here. Uh, I was watching very, very fascinating stuff. I was watching footage of a dude playing a video game, part of this community that I'm a part of, and he was playing Dreams. So I was watching him play nice. Dreams, which is the video game I discussed earlier, which is uh, PSVR. Uh, you can now uh, create your own games and put them up through this Dreams game for PSVR, and you can play them. Somebody was, and I was watching uh, somebody I know uh, play um, Dreams, so that I could kind of spy on what what our games worth jumping into. And one of the ones he was playing, he's like, "Oh, this is a weird UFO game." So he's he's going through he's going through the level. All my lights are off, by the way, and I'm like watching this. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad this didn't happen to me. So I'm like watching him play this game. He's like, oh, this is kind of creepy. He's like, I'm in a forest. He's like, oh, I'm going through the forest. He's like, oh, I see these weird orbs. Oh, I see this UFO. Boom. He gets beamed up into the UFO. These aliens, this is in virtual reality, he's playing it these aliens start like operating on him. Uh, then he comes down and then he sees this weird eyeball, red eyeball orb. What does that remind you of? The eye of Sauron. It reminds you of the episode we did where we discussed, or at least where we began to discuss the Rendlesham forest incident. And this was a dreams creation known as I think Rendlesham forest. Um, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. That is cool. Awesome, awesome. Not really a synchronicity, but kind of awesome that um, not totally not a synchronicity. Like it's kind of awesome that. Uh, it's a connection. It, there's definitely a connection there between us talking about it and then somebody. And it's meaningful. Somebody yeah. creating a VR, um, a VR experience based on it. So, yeah, you know, you bring up a good point. Right. Sometimes it may not be, and honestly, who can quite define synchronicities? Because I think we've realized that you can define them on different levels. 
Uh, Absolutely. There are some that are more complicated than others. But there's, sometimes there are simply connections between us and what's happening that relate to other things that have happened to us. And I think that's just as important and just as much of a sign. I do think that's a synchronicity because in the past, before I started writing them down and sort of trying to quantify them or qualify them, I was always kind of looking for just signs that, you know, things are connected. And that's definitely a sign. Um, yeah. There was another experience that I had recently where my girlfriend and I took a selfie of us kissing with our crazy masks on. And then, <laughs> okay. and then we were walking down the street to grab something to eat in like, uh, I don't know, in like Soho or something. And then we walked by this, these posters that are everywhere where it's two people with a mask kissing in like cartoon form. Oh, wow. Which is really trippy. Uh- and they have masks on. They had said? masks on. It was like nice. we just nice. took this selfie, which we'd never done before, of us kissing with the masks on. And then we see these posters of masks on everywhere. And I, and she's aware that I'm constantly looking for synchronicity. So I'll point and she'll be like, ooh, it's a synchronicity. Um, yeah. So I love that. So the f- now, here's what I wonder if maybe in your subconscious, because you, you seem to spend a lot of time in Soho, that – Maybe you did see those, but they never meant anything to you. And then when that idea came to take that selfie, it was a preconceived idea that you weren't necessarily aware of. And then you suddenly became aware of it afterward. You know, that's happened to me a lot. That's possible. I I, I just wonder. Yeah. That's really possible. And that's a good point. Like, can we sometimes see things that trigger things in the future? So, So are we dealing with synchronicities caused by our subconscious picking up on things, informing our conscious later? Um that's a, that's a, that's a really good point, and I think still related very much deeply to how these things happen. Uh, we're we're yeah. dealing with an an instrument that's tapped into the future in a, in a very unique way, um, and the past. Um, but I don't think I've never seen that poster before. I show a lot of apartments in that area, so um, that's why I'm always walking around there. Um, yeah. Okay, so here's an example of how trippy Philip K. Dick is that. Uh, it's not a great example, but, um, I told you the greatest example was when I was reading Vallis and he was receiving this pink signal from, from the satellite of God or something like that's the signal, the pink signal. And then I told you, I, at that same time, I was getting interference in my TV from some sort of a pink signal. But, um, this book that I'm reading now, um, uh, by Philip K. Dick called The Penultimate Truth, they talk about something called the rhetorizer. Um, and the rhetorizer is a made-up word to define some uh, some advanced techno- technological typewriting device where it, it basically is a typewriter with AI. So you give it words and it'll type out the your report for you. It's a schoolboy's dream. Um, so yeah. But at that very moment, I, that day, basically, I was researching this type machine that I really want to buy that is not a computer. It's like a, well, it's like a mini computer, but it's just for word processing, basically. Um, so it was oh, weird nice. that I was reading about a character like struggling with his rhetorizer. Meanwhile, I'm trying to order a rhetorizer online. And just a <laughs> rhetorizer. rhetorizer. That's such a cool term. Yeah. I want to use that from now on. It is on. cool. <laughs> like, uh, Rhetoric, rhetorizer. Um, right, right. And then there were some... D- it sounds so science fiction-y, though. It is. Rhetorizer. It is, it is, it is. Um, and then there were some descriptions in his book that were relating directly to things that I was feeling about. 
about the world, uh, which was interesting. Uh, I highly recommend reading Philip K. Dick if you want to increase the volume on your synchronicities. Well, actually, speaking of Philip K. Dick, I have another synchronicity to add because as we're getting back into Diane's book here and segueing from our synchronicity talk, we're going to talk about a term that Diane deemed the total recall effect, which is a movie that he did. How cool is that? It is cool. <laughs> this, is, this is what I mentioned briefly before, that movies can cause physiological effects, um, that they can become us. They become our memories, like memories that we have of specific moments in movies, find their way into our dreams, and mix with what we consider reality. And uh, Diane used a term called confabulation, confabulation, um, which is the inability to distinguish fact from fantasy. And this is what I was talking about with that, that VR game creator that um, you, you can get lost in that. And, and if it, it can become so real that it becomes part of your memory and, sure. and what you know and your facts, even though it is fantasy and you can step away from it and be like, no, I know this is fantasy, but you're having initial trouble distinguishing the two. Um, so that's known as confabulation. And that's an intimate love relationship with the virtual space. If you're creating the game, yeah. you're obsessing over it, you're problem solving over it, yeah. you're living in it, you're really deep into it. Right, You know. right, absolutely. Um, so uh, Diane went on to say that movie images trump historical record, like something that you would just read about, um, you know, a fact of the past. If you see a movie about it and it's historically um, factual but not accurate, you're going to trust what you saw in that movie before what you read just because that's how strong and impactful the visual world is. Seeing, seeing really is believing in, in that sense. Um, so confusing movie fiction with reality, this is something that happens in the subconscious. It's a highly effective use of propaganda, which we've talked about. This has benefited UFO debunkers from the government exactly. on down for yeah. years and years. It's their bread and butter um, to say that we're getting this stuff from movies, which it's complicated now because, right. because we are, right. it's sort of a cyclical thing now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, there are there are two terms that Diane used uh, to or two different uh, uses of this confabulation, and one of them is specialist factual. The other one is fictional factual. So we're going to talk about specialist factual first. Um, this is when productions that are are visually fabricated based on historical information. So it's when it says like at the beginning of the movie, it says based on a true story. So these can be like the shorts that are on the History Channel that that cover religion to like dinosaurs and evolution and extraterrestrials. They're usually filmed in a documentary style. Um, she brought up a great example. Um, this is a movie that I actually have not seen, but I've heard about it. Um, it's called the Great Martian War. I don't know if you know anything about that. They took footage from World War One, real footage, and they photoshopped these like giant Martian figures and robots and artificial intelligence into the movie to portray a different story. And so it's like it's where an alien savage race fought Earth soldiers. And again, it's it's Real footage from World War One with added simulations an old of movie aliens for the fifties or something. It, um, I don't think it's that old actually. Let me look it up real quick. The Great Martian War. Um, I love those old UFO movies. So this was released in two thousand and thirteen. It's narrated by Mark Strong, um, but the but the film is from World War One, so it's a black and white film. 
Uh, it's a mockumentary, but like I'm telling you, these are made in the style of documentaries. They take historical factual information and then they specialize it and they add simulation and people were believing this they thought they were like how did we not know about this great martian war that happened from 1913 to 1917 so cool people people believed it and so that's that's another example of the scene is believing i know i know i want to watch it too um and then the other example of this is uh the fictional factual um so this is where we're getting into like star wars movies and star trek and um and how those movies can have such an impact on people's lives, even though they know they're completely fictional, um, but they can lead to real life experiences. So uh, I, I don't know if you know anything about the religion that's based off of Star Wars, that, that people are like religious to the point of like having a completely new belief. It's called Jediism. Okay. Do you know about I'm this? I'm surprised, so, but okay. Yeah, there's... There's a um, there's a group called If Star Wars Was Real, and it's uh, it's all these historical photos like from JFK's assassination, a bunch of historical documents oh, that um, people have inserted characters, Star Wars characters, into these photos, um, and so you can look that up online. If Star Wars Was Real, it's a whole collection of them. Um, but back into Jedi- Jediism. This is people who um, use Star Wars as their scripture, right? That is, that's their belief. That's how they base every life choice that they make. Um, and and which honestly, bef- before there were movies, uh, they were they were just mytho- mythological stories and books and whatever. So what's right. the difference, right? Right. Exactly. Okay. What is the difference? Exactly. And that's why. Um, Diane says it a lot more eloquently than, than I am, but um, but yeah, she she basically just um, factualizes that that Jediism is as real as Christianity to you, you know, or or whatever your religion is, um, and that George Lucas actually based his movies off of religious philosophers um, that were studying in Taoism and Zen Buddhism. So it's kind of like what what she's learned from interviewing people who believe in Jediism is that it their philosophies are very similar to that same realm of Taoism and Buddhism. Yeah, so so those are the two examples of of factual total recall effects as Diane refers to them. Specialist factual and fictional factual. Those are interesting. And then she delves even farther into this world of um external world skepticism, right? She she quotes this guy named Whitley Whitley Stryber. Um, he's an alien abductee Communion. who has yeah. come to. Oh, you know, he wrote him. a book that's famous. It has the quintessential gray alien on its cover called Communion. Yeah, I want to cover that book, but I, I uh, yeah, that man's known for being a bit out there for sure. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. She 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 mentions this guy Whitley Stryber. Um, uh, he's an alien abductee, um, and when. When she interviewed him, he said that he has recently come to the realization, this is many years later, that he thinks he was influenced influenced by sci-fi B-movies um, and that what he had seen is is based off of what his experience was and his memories from that, that, that you know, that he kind of, the whole scene is believing and he kind of contrived what he saw as being something that he had already well, seen. Well, this is, this is part of the issue with with identifying what we're dealing with when we're dealing with an intelligent mm-hmm. entity that's not us because it can it can read your mind and then pick you know choose to reveal itself as whatever's in your mind. I mean if you're terrified mm-hmm. of demons it could come out as a demon. If you 
are especially mm-hmm. scared of robots, it can it can take that form. There's no reason why it wouldn't right. be able to look into your mind and pick pick take its pick of what to look like and re- familiarity reveal itself that way. So yeah, so it, it uh, that's funny that have you seen Harry Potter? That's like the Bogart. That's that creature that takes its form based on whatever you're scared of, right? Your biggest fear, yeah. yeah. And we never see what that creature actually looks like, right? Because it doesn't look like anything. I think when they bring it back into the box, it turns into like a black, uh, like wispy cloud kind of thing. So I think that might be its true form. There's some government report, uh, which of course I can't remember which one it is or when it was, but where, where they were just like, where they were accurately talking about the UFO phenomenon as like these electromagnetic beings. So I always mm-hmm. thought that was interesting because it's like, dude, what if they're just like electromagnetic beings? Like they don't have a form like we have a form because right. they don't exist on our spectrum. Yeah. So right. of course they're going to show up like grays or like whatever because they're going to show up like whatever makes sense to us on this in our, I in love our that. physical reality, you know? Um, Diane actually mentions uh, there's a woman named Susan Schneider um, who suspects that if we ever were to encounter non-human intelligence, it would be in the form of AI, um, that it wouldn't actually be beings or like anything that existed at all. It it would be like a robot or something. It's it's like how we sent, we sent a rover to Mars, right? And we don't, we didn't send humans to Mars, but we sent a rover to Mars. So if, if whatever life force existed on Mars ever found that rover, that would be the first evidence of them finding non-human intelligence on their planet, right? If they haven't already Oh, left like, their planet uh, yeah, like, ours. like, uh, and, and, and people believe that those, that orbs are this and, and yeah, I mean, it's some sort of a, what would you call that? A reconnaissance drone or what would you call that? Yeah, it was, right. It would be a, um, a scout. You know, it would be something that sure, goes out there exactly. to, to, to see to see what's going on. Yeah, there's actually, um, and then along with this external world skepticism too, Diane also brings up the the Hill case, Barney and Betty Hill. She said that Betty had a, a book encounter as well, um, that after their abduction, she went to the library and checked out a UFO book um, by Donald Kehoe. And it talked about how the Department of Defense is covering up alien evidence so this was something that happened before they were hypnotized. Um, and and once once they were hypnotized, Barney described his aliens as having um, their eyes wrapped around their head, like slanted eyes that wrapped around the side of their head. And they found out recently, actually, that there was an episode that aired 12 days before they were hypnotized on uh, the show called The Outer Limits. So this would have happened on February 10th. 1964, and it depicted aliens with eyes that wrapped around the side of their head. So this is like, this is modern evidence to further debunk that their hypnotism was influenced on stuff that they had seen in media prior to their abduction. Here's a synchronicity. That episode aired on my birthday. Stop. Your birthday's on February 10th? Yeah. And you were born in 1964. I was. I'm so. I'm so much. <laughs> You're fucking old. So older than you. I just have a young voice. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's not true. But uh, but yeah, seriously, I gotta see that episode now. I never watched there the Outer go. Limits because yeah. I'm like, why am I gonna watch the the less cool cousin of the Twilight Zone? But exactly. but I gotta see this right. episode now to see if it's if it's um, related. Um, yeah, you should. 
that disturbs me, you know, because I, cause we, we look at the Betty and Barney Hill as, as sort of like our, our leverage, our, our, we right. look at it as our firm ground for like, this happens and it right. happens to people. And these people were not bullshitting us, but, but, um, but hypnosis is tricky in that way. Yeah. Hypnosis is tricky in that way because you can plan ideas in someone's head. They can create a new reality. They can remember, quote unquote, something that's not real. Um, right. Hypnosis can be tricky. But we're going to cover that story. Um, and maybe I'll watch that episode beforehand. Totes. Cool. Let's do it. Um, so now I'm just going to cover some more like a uh, – important words that I think that I pulled out. These are just like little bits from the book um, that I thought were important, but they don't really go anywhere. So this is going to seem like really random. Uh, but uh, Diane like barely touches on the uh, the dualism between the mind and the body. Um, she says examples of this are uh, radiation burns on material objects or like blips on the radar, right? So when something that we aren't sure necessarily exists can change something that we do know exists, the difference between the mind and the body, right? Um, and she said that this dualism created two schools in within the UFO phenomenon, uh, one of physical reality and one of spiritual reality. Um, and hypnotic regression is... Um, a form of a form of the spiritual reality where experiencers and abductees uh, they their content is based off of messages sent down from these non-human intelligence and psychic aspects of that. You know, it's it's not based on physical, tangible reality. Uh, and out of this comes a term called a cone. It's spelled K-O-A-N. And this is, I think, I think Jacques Vallée termed this, but I, I I didn't write it down. I don't really remember. I'm sorry for that. Uh, but a cone is a short, nonsensible anecdote that leads to enlightenment or a mystical experience. So I thought that was like a, a beautiful the little term there. itself leads. Anic, anecdote. Anecdote. What's an anecdote? An anecdote is um, just like a like a, oh, like a yeah, yeah, that's or, what I meant know, to like, say. What did I say? Antidote? <laughs> okay, antidote, so an- yes. how do you say that? Antidote. Anic. Anecdote. So it's an anecdote that leads to a mystical experience? Yes. So here's an example. I need one. In my, in my soothing voice. Ooh. Give you some MSR, ASMR MSR. ASMR. ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> What is the sound of one hand clap? It's nonsensible, right? You're thinking about it. You're like one hand clapping. It doesn't make a sense. Yeah, but that's just. Here I am clapping my one hand. No, that's just tripped me it out. It fatigues though. your mind. That tripped me out. Right. That's the point, though, is that it's it's nonsensible. It's something that you think about beyond a rational sense in hopes that it will lead you to enlightenment or some kind of mystical experience, right? So it, it just, it goes beyond anything that makes any sense. It makes your brain shut down. And what that does in Tyler's world is letting your mind shut down. Your physical reality allows you the ability for enlightenment. That's the purpose. So how do you, how do you find these mind-breaking, mind-changing... Cones. Cones. How do you find these cones? 
I mean, I'm sure we could just do a simple Google search. We need a book of cones. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. Because that Let's is see, the issue. We have one side of our brain constantly telling us what to do, constantly telling us that we're not good enough, there's more stuff on the list, but wait, you're still a terrible person because you haven't done your laundry, but wait, there's still mm-hmm. dust on the floor, there's still homework to do, there's still emails mm-hmm. to send, there's still video yep. games to finish. You got part of your brain at war with your own sense of peace and meditative, uh, you know, simplicity. Like, right. you, need, you need something. You need a cone, baby. You need a cone. You need a cone. I just Googled it, by the way, and there's a whole Wikipedia page of cones. So, easy to find. Do you have, can you read me <laughs> one more? Okay, you ready? Yes. Men of immeasurable greatness are tossed about in the ebb and flow of words. <laughs> what? In the ebb and flow of words? Yeah. Which, which basically they're saying, like, if you let words and phrases and, and like, the tangibleness of understanding take over, you will never reach immeasurable greatness. I like it. That was just the first one I saw. How here. did you yeah. find that? What did There's, you Google? I just Googled list of cones, and then the first option that came up was a link to Wikipedia. <laughs> and these are actually from a specific person by Yunmin Wenyan. Yun, well, Yunmin my Wenyan. My Google sucks because it's like, did you mean Jessica Jones? <laughs> K-O-N-E-S, right? Ooh here's, ooh, here's a good one. K-O-A-N. Oh, K-O. Here's a good one. You ready for this? Davis, what was you? What was your original face before you were born? What is your in-between world face? (laughs) I was a beaver. (laughs) You were a little beaver. Yeah, love that. Some of these are they're like short stories, like about someone doing something, or or, you know, and and about someone else's enlightenment. But some of them are are one line, like "What is the color of the wind?" I like that. Is this list of cones by Young Men Wei Yan? No. Yeah, that's what I that's what I first opened, but I'm sure there are other links that are better. Um, um, I'm still thinking about what my original I, face looked like. I think it was like some sort of like a clown <laughs> kabuchi mask face. I don't know. Ew, I hate it. I'm gonna hop into the last bit of what Diane kind of hops around about before we get into more of the the um, thorough stories again. So Diane loves talking about Jacques Vallée. Uh, so this next little bit is kind of more, more about his past. And she mentioned some stuff that we've already covered about him already. I think we talk about him in every episode, but this is some, some more stuff that, um, that we didn't already talk about. So uh, Jacques has had a history of comparing apparitions to UFO events. Um, he says that there are components that are always recurring in, in both experiences. Uh, so I'm going to list those off for okay. you. Um, one is a humming sound. It's typical during a sighting of a UFO event as well as an apparition. Sure. Um, two is the arrival of a disc, a globe, or a sphere. This is kind of talking about how, you know, um, 
angels can come down on those discs and also the discs are the UFOs in, in modern sightings as well. Uh, third, there's a feeling of enervation afterward, kind of like you get that energetic feeling, maybe religious ecstasy, if you will. Um, sounds can include thunder or booms. Um, another example is unusual clouds in the sky during, after, before. Time storms. Um, <laughs> Hey, there you go. Uh, there, um, he also suggests that there's a transformation of a person in, in their own, you know, epistemological shock, right? That someone can transform spiritually how they felt about something and change their beliefs after this apparition or UFO event. That they usually view it as a sign or a mission in life um, that everything that they do after this sign is going to reflect on that. Um, and then the last thing is uh, psych- the psychic component. So um, every every once in a while you'll hear about UFO encounters or apparitions that um, somehow communicate te- te- uh, telepathically to the person experiencing them. So that's quite common. Uh, so I thought those were all interesting, like, to, that he compares apparitions with UFO Apparitions, you mean, like, what would might, might be characterized as a ghost? Could be ghosts um, or or religious meetings. You know, when someone comes down from the heavens Hi- to talk to you or give you a sign or uh, aerophany. Yes. Good. Um, I didn't know if you knew this. This was new to me, but Jacques worked on the prototype of the internet. Did you know that? Kind of. He was one of the main the main uh, scientists on that. It was at the time. It was called ARPANET. A-R-P-A-N-E-T, ARPANET. Um, And he actually, Jacques, originally predicted that synchronicities defined by social bots would occur. Even before the internet was invented, he was like, this is something that's going to happen. And it's going to influence the theories of consciousness. So, like, you know how when you, you talk about Jolly Ranchers to your girlfriend and then you get on Facebook and all of a sudden Facebook's advertising Jolly Ranchers to you, right? This is this is something that was inevitable, and he's saying that these these synchronicities. He predicted this happening Why? before the internet was even invented. Because he because he said that the, the power of social bots and the way that they learn and how they understand and in taking information and learn from what they hear, you know, whatever. Big Big Brother's always listening, right? But also, do you remember? Do you remember um, that thing on Facebook? I want to say it was like five years ago when two bots on Facebook, like, started speaking to each other in their own language that they had invented. And they had to pull <laughs> And people, the plug like, got really that. freaked yeah. out. Yes. That's that's what Jacques was talking about, that this stuff, it was going to, it was bound to happen. If you invent the the technology, this is, it's going to happen. And that so makes Jacques me freaked said that out these, to know what he thinks is really going to happen when AI is let off. It's, it's, it's. Yeah, no kidding. You know. Scary thought. So um, he, yeah, Jacques said that this is this is totally expected. And now, um, when those things do happen to you, when you talk about something, and then you see an ad for it on your phone or anything else. It's not. It's a less powerful synchronicity than than the the times that were that were before the internet or when synchronicities happen to you that without we're talking the, about the that internet. Are relating to right. people, exactly. places, things. Yes. Exactly. Um, so Jacques says that this reveals um, that consciousness is based on information. He said, if you believe that the universe is just information, then it, it should make t- 
total sense to expect coincidences in that information. Right. There's nothing strange about them. It's just the way the universe functions, which we've said before. Diane mentioned that Tyler kind of felt the same way. He believes that information is material. It's on a different length, wavelength that we can't see it, but information is, you know, just uh, just like anything else that we see. We When we see each other, when we see our pets and our material things, information is on the same uh, level as that. It's just on a different that wavelength. it's material? So, it's not it's immaterial. It's material, yeah. It's material. Exactly, well, yeah. You know, they think that karma is material as well. It is it is on it's mm-hmm. in another wavelength, wave, you mm. know, form. It's it's not visible, but it's real. That's interesting. Yeah. So Ty- Tyler believes that humans are are designed to interface with the phenomenon because of the information that we have and and the access to that material part of our brain. It's not accidental um, course, that they show themselves. It's not right. accident. Maybe sometimes it is, but it's not accidental that they have a relationship with us, that they want to be seen. Sometimes they want to be seen. I mean, we're, right. we're slowly, it's almost like we're getting to a point where it's like, Hey guys, like, like it's time for us to, as a species, admit the elephant in the room. Like this is, this is real. It shows itself. Yep. Look at the Phoenix lights. Yep. I mean, this stuff happens on a massive scale and it's always happened. Yep. Um, what is the big reveal? What, 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 where are we headed with this is the real question. I hope there is somewhere we are right. headed and it's not just this insanely weird tease all the time, you know? Um, <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be such a letdown? Man. Yeah. I mean, some people have really intimate experiences with it, but. But right. we, we want, you know, we want to, we want to get past this. We want to start trading. We want to start, right. we want to start doing things together, you know, right. we want to hang yeah. out. Yeah. So Tyler said that he said that some people are, are better at connecting than others. Um, and that he uses this special sense because it works. It's not because he believes in it. He, it just that's how he that's how it works. He compares um, he says that humans are technology and he he compares like the makeup of the body like the spinal cord is a satellite. It's something that transmits energy and information wow. out into the ether that that is that's our power source. Um, we get energy from food obviously and food is created from sunlight. So we are eating Sunlight, the power of the universe, you know, every time that we eat food to retain um, nourishment in our bodies. That's amazing. Um, I, I, yeah, I love that comparison. So we are like and a satellite. He, we're getting solar energy are, through food. Exactly. And we yes. are, we're, we're able to receive and send out signals, um, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. Hindu and, and, you know, cultures have talked about for a long time, right? How many yoga yeah. instructors yeah. are like received through your kundalini, you know? Um, <laughs> they're not wrong, folks. They're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Why this interesting, the spinal cord? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tyler actually describes how the spinal cord is the whole reason that the, that the brain can function. Like if there are many people who, if your spinal cord is broken at all, especially up in the important parts up by your neck that you would die instantly. That's, that's everything that's keeping your body alive and existing right now. Um, and of course, like the lower spine would lead to paralysis, which we know, but, um, 
he also breaks down the parts of the brain. He says um, he compares them to a computer, whereas the RAM, like the RAM in your computer, is your prefrontal lobe, that the hard drive is your hippocampus, that's where all your memories are stored, and that the motherboard is your skeleton, your whole structure, your body. That's the motherboard of, of your your human technology. Wait, can you go over that again? Form. The RAM is the what? The RAM is the prefrontal lobe. Prefrontal. So this is everything that's processing information and, and leading to language and, you know, consuming information. Uh, your hard drive is the hippocampus. That's where all the memories are stored. And the motherboard is your skeleton, your entire structure, right? Everything that makes up what hold, what it holds. Um, and so he, he compares contacting these non-human intelligence as, as um, you know, we, we call it, meditating or, or yoga, um, but he, he considers it to be what we would call connecting to a router so that you can send out your Wi-Fi signal higher and basically get on the quote-unquote internet <laughs> and communicate with these non-human intelligence, furthering the signal beyond just the brain. So I thought those were I all like these comparisons. comparisons. I mean, we don't, we don't want to forget that there is a spiritual component to existence. Um, yeah. We're not just devices or, or bags of chemical uh, chemicals and, and signals. But at the same time, I like this metaphor because it demystifies everything that we talk about. I mean, we are, yeah. maybe we are designed to interact with the greater, we are obviously connected to the greater universe. I mean, there would be no remote mm-hmm. viewing. Maybe there would be no UFOs or UFO sightings. There would be none of this if the body wasn't intimately already connected to the right. the galactal internet somehow, you know, whatever it is. Intergalactic. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, so, okay. So hopefully that's a helpful metaphor for people. Um, right. I thought, I thought it was a good way for, for people who love cold, hard facts and, you know, would just kind of, scoff at the the spiritual side of things this is kind of a a way to put it in material sense um in factual reality that i think we often i know i always kind of think about the body as a computer kind of because i'm like oh we are we're the most advanced computer that we have so far um Mm -hmm. so it's interesting to hear him kind of just break it down yeah i thought that was cool too um, so now here's where we're gonna go into uh, story mode. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this man named uh, Ray Hernandez and Ray. some different uh, experiences that he had. And this was somebody that Diane uh, interviewed personally. So Ray Hernandez was an atheist. He spoke to God for the first time after interacting with non-human intelligence. This happened in early early March, 2012, on a Sunday morning. He said, he spoke up to the heavens and he said, I congratulate you. You have managed to completely transform a total atheist into someone who finally believes in God, the spirit world, and life after death. He actually founded a foundation called FREE, uh, which stands for the Foundation of Research in Extraterrestrial Encounters. Uh, It consists of 12 retired physicists, neuroscientists, psychologists, and this is the story of the experience that made him go from atheism to believing in God. Both he and his wife had this experience together. Um, however, their stories have been interpreted differently. Uh, his wife was always very religious, um, a hardcore Christian, right? So uh, 
this this interaction and their different interpretation uh, defies the that mind body dualism that we were talking about between um, hard facts and spiritualism. Because his wife's interpretation is more on the spiritual side. She believes that they were visited by an angel and. Um, I'll tell you what happens later, but he believes that it was something more material than that, uh, that that they were visited by a a, a being of outer earth intelligence, right? Um, So he would be what we consider a nuts and bolts materialist versus his wife, who was the the subjectivist, the one who focuses on testimonies and experiences and what, you know, what she believes. Uh, So here we go. Ray and his wife, Dulce, that's a cute little name, uh, they discovered um, that their dog, Nina, a 16-year-old Jack Russell Terrier, had been paralyzed. Um, and they found her at night. She was up upstairs in her little dog bed, and she couldn't move. She couldn't do anything except move her head. Her whole body was paralyzed, and they had no idea why. And they contacted their emergency vet, and um, he wouldn't be in until the morning. So they they stayed up all night with their dog and they made plans to put their dog down in the morning because they figured it, this is the end of her life. You know, she's a very old dog, 16 years old. Um, so Dulce spent all night praying, praying over the dog and finally got a couple hours of rest. And the next morning, she carries her dog down the stairs into the living room and she's just bringing her into the kitchen to maybe give her some water um, and give her some relief. And she looks into her living room and sees an object floating about a foot away from the wall and a foot above the ground. And she described it as a metallic upside down U. So kind of like a rainbow, I suppose. Um, and she said there were two ring lights in the center of this light. Uh, and that two green lights started blinking and flashing at her while she's holding Nina, These, her dog. There were two as green if, lights are where? Two, they started blinking out of the ring lights, and they were as if they were scanning her. They were, scanning they were her coming body. out of the metallic U? Right, exactly. So she she yells for her husband. She's like, Ray, get down here. You have to see this. And he just ignores her because, you know, his wife is a crazy Christian who always thinks that, that, that heaven's out and helping her and the angels are, see, she's seeing angels and whatnot. So he ignores her. He just keeps sleeping. Um, so she puts the dog down. She goes upstairs. She grabs him out of bed. She's like, I, you need to come see this. So he comes downstairs and he describes um, this metallic U. He doesn't see a metallic U. He describes it as a plasma object that is just kind of like a cylindrical blob of light. And he's like not really sure what he's seen, but he said maybe three feet wide, two feet tall, has no edges. It's just kind of a blob, a blob of light, like an amoeba, right? <laughs> um, and he, the only thing he remembers is that he felt like he couldn't control his own thoughts when he saw it and was like, this is crazy. He couldn't see out of the sides of his eyes, so he lost all his peripheral vision while he was staring at it. And he goes, eh, it's BS. And he goes back up, upstairs. And then for the next 15 minutes, he laid in bed and stared at the ceiling, wasn't able to blink, and was in this hypnotic state for 15 minutes. And he didn't, he couldn't, he had none of his own thoughts. He was just, it was like a blank state. He was just this existing piece of matter that had no personal thoughts and no way to communicate with anything. He couldn't do anything. Hypnotic state. All of a sudden, this voice says to him, all right, kid, we're finished. You can go down to your wife and your pet. Verbatim. (laughs) He gets up out of bed. He walks downstairs and he sees his wife running around chasing Nina, who's running in circles. 
like ecstatic, beyond happy, no longer paralyzed. Yeah, I mean, that sounds to me like if it's like, all right, kids, we're done. That sounds to me like a government agent that just finished (laughs) using some crazy technology that's reverse engineered from aliens or with aliens. Right. And then they're just like speaking through the microphone, like cabin in the woods style, like, sorry, kids. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. We're we're done with you. Um, Cabin in the woods. That's So Dulce's story is a little different. She says... She says that once she brought her husband downstairs, he never left. She said that they came down together with the dog to give it water that morning, and they saw the object floating together, and that all of a sudden Nina started running around. She had no experience of, like, him, her having to go get him, of him calling it BS and going back upstairs. How weird. Uh, She has no memory of that. So she actually lost a count of 45 minutes because she said that they came down together and they saw the dog running around. And, uh, yeah, so her story is a lot more different, right? Um, So Ray, as he's looking back on this experience, he he suspects that his wife and his dog were actually taken in in whatever object that was glowing above their living room, um, taken and healed and then brought back. Um, Dulce, of course, claims that it was an angel, but Ray kind of believes that it's more of like non-human intelligence. Wait, this little upside down you was in their living room or it was outside? It was in their living room, and that was what Dulce claimed it was. Uh, Ray only saw a plasma bit. We saw the plasma, the amoeba light bulb. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, Ray was a pure nationalist until he made... Until he had this viewing, and and he said that it made his whole worldview came crashing down. All of a sudden, he got obsessed with the the phenomenon. He ordered tons of books to do research on paranormal activity, extraterrestrials, but then more strange events prevented him from actually having a book encounter. This guy had tons of stories. I only told you, I'm only going to tell you about like three of them. Um, But after that one occurrence with their dog, he started seeing objects all the time. Um, so this one, uh, this one actually happened to Dulce. Um, so we were in March, right, when the dog got healed. Now we're in May of the same year. Uh, Dulce saw a blimp-sized UFO outside, and it had, um, I'm, I mean, it's described as a UFO, but she she thought it was like a ethereal um, craft. And it, uh, she said that all the windows were made up of stained glass, like the inside of a church. Maybe she's seen <laughs> um, And she said that she had, right. And this is kind of what you were talking, we were talking about that Bogart, um, yeah. you know, effect where it's, you, you see it how you're familiar with. Um, and, and maybe someone would see it in a different way, but yeah. So interesting. She said that she had actually seen the same craft earlier with her family in Mexico when she was visiting and she saw eight foot beings inside the craft with white robes on. She described them as human looking. So like, again, like, like angels, right? That's kind of what we're thinking of people in white robes that are eight feet tall. They just like, like glorious ethereal beings looking outside of these stained glass windows of a hovering aircraft. (laughs) Yeah. They all look like Fabio. They do. Um, yeah, so this is the last encounter um, that I'm going to mention. This happened in August now. We're at the end of August, 9.30 p.m., August 25th, 2012. Ray is outside. He's waiting for a friend, and he has this crazy idea to call to the UFOs. So he's like, hey, bro, if you're up there, just show me a sign. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm asking for it. I know, but maybe I'm crazy. 
And then he kind of realizes he's like, 15 minutes go by and he's like, okay, I was totally being crazy. I don't know why I would just like ask for them to show themselves. Like, that's silly. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, <laughs> this enormous UFO starts floating over his neighbor's house toward his house. And he just sees it coming over and he is stunned. You he called, bro? It, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> it's it's hovering about five feet over the top of their neighbor's roof. And he described it as being like two or three city blocks long, right? So this is a big, big aircraft, yeah? Hundreds of swirling lights underneath of it. And he's just looking up at it and he's like stunned. And he hears this voice in his head and it's his daughter. And it says, Daddy, Daddy, next time you see a UFO, please tell me. I want to see. And so... He calls to his daughter. He's like, get out here. Come on out. I don't know what her name is. Um, She's 10 years old, though. So she comes out with him, and she sees it, too. They're both just staring at this crap, not able to do anything. It's It's just hovering, maybe crossing the street now, moving very, very, very slow. His friend pulls up, because that's the reason he was outside in the first place. He was waiting for his friend to show up. So his friend pulls up with his wife in the car and their 17-year-old daughter, and they look up, and they're like, what is that? And Ray's just like, what is that? He, That's really what they he, say. He says, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know what that is. That's what he says. And then, and then they're like, no, People that can't are so be. Crazy. And so they, he they can't handle this. Stuff. I know, right? Just so quick to deny. Yeah, and like that's not what, what I that, think it bird? is. Um, <laughs> it's a bird. Um, so Ray says to the UFO telepathically. Here he goes. He's like really getting into it now. He goes, bro. You better come up with something else or they're not going to believe you. And almost immediately, instantaneously, when he says that, the light pattern underneath the UFO changes and it bursts into a hundred stars, 10 times the size of Venus. That's what he compared it to. Um, of course, there's no pictures from the this ship experience. There's no rationalism stars? in the thought. <laughs> <Yes>. The size <laughs> of Venus. <laughs> I like these alien style. They're just like. They had right, just watched exactly. Saturday Night Fever. They were in a dancey, sparkly right. kind of mood. Right. Yeah. And, and and again, of course, there's no photos of this. They were all stunned. They didn't know what the heck was happening. Um, and they all felt like they were in a hypnotic trance until his daughter shook uh, Ray shook his her dad's pants and said, Dad, there's no mosquitoes outside. And suddenly he felt like he woke up. That again, he was under that right. mind control where he had no control over his own It sounds like the Oz stuff. effect took place um, a little bit there. Like they were in this weird yes, like, exactly. zone. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're, their friends drive away. They're like, that was not real. We're not really sure what just happened. Okay. Something crazy just I happened. I would to venture to say that if we're looking at different there's all kinds of beings out there. Some of them are good. Some of them are very selfish to the point of just harming us without care. I'm not going to say they're bad or evil. I'm just going to say yeah. they're super selfish. Um, they're not thinking about us. They're not compassionate towards us. I would say that these are beings right. that are compassionate towards us. This is the ideal kind of extraterrestrial relationship. It's not super intrusive. Totally. They're not putting anal probes in them at night. Or so we we don't we don't know we don't think they they came in to save they come in they to save the dog. In the dog they to, swoop to in it. during vacation a wave hello they come in like you know just to make Saturday morning interesting or whatever it was um, they they throw a <laughs> they throw a disco ball party in the sky for them that their friends are not going to believe <laughs> or think about again anyway um, right right the, this is an ideal relationship with them I like Definitely. this absolutely. 
Me too. Yeah. So the next day, Ray watches this YouTube video online. It just kind of came up and it was about near-death experiences and the quantum physics of consciousness. And uh, Ray has this whole revelation. He's like, I've been reading the wrong books. I've been reading books about paranormal activity and extraterrestrials. And I haven't been reading about this the quantum physics of consciousness. And uh, he kind of describes that experience that he had on, on August 25th as a near-death experience. Not that he felt frightened that he was going to die. He just felt like that was the way that the, um, the, the feeling that he got from it, that energy wave that we feel after sightings, um, was similar to what people experience in a near-death experience, that he felt like he had an out-of-body experience during that. And like, again, his mind was being controlled. He wasn't in control of his own physical body, right? So he, over the next four months, think about this, four months, he reads over 200 books about the near-death experience. He was reading up to 18 hours a day until December 21st of 2012, as soon as that event happened, for the next four months. He said he neglected his job. He neglected his family. He never went outside. He stopped watching TV. He, all he was doing was reading for 18 hours a day. And he, he read tons of books. And he, um, he started having his own synchronicities. He started meeting people on the street that told him that they, were, they, they had these near-death experiences and they just felt empowered to tell him about them. His father told him a story of his own near-death experience that he had never heard before. Um, so he started this foundation. Um, again, it's called FREE. Uh, and that stands for the Foundation of Research in Extraterrestrial Encounters. So he started this... Um, this foundation after he had an out of body experience. Free F R E E Foundation. 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 Yep. Foundation of Research on Extraterrestrial cool. Evidence. Uh, and and so he he developed this foundation after this experience that he had. Um, and he said it was driven by the the consciousness paradigm, which I looked that up and it started getting into string theory and quantum physics. And I was like, whoa, my brain is going to explode. I cannot read any more about this. Um, but, he, but so this whole foundation is driven by the consciousness paradigm and it's not derived from ufology, even though some of the events kind of occur in the same realm as what you ufologists study. This is, um, this is related to what John Keel encouraged us to do as well. I mean, he encouraged us mm. not to not to be selective with UFO stories and forget about Mothman, forget about the angelic right. connections, forget about the near death connections. It, we're looking at how this stuff can be related. It's it's the newest wave of thinking with the supernatural that it is related somehow. Um, but what's the connection? I mean, uh, consciousness, quantum physics, quantum physics of consciousness. What does that mean, I wonder, you know? Right, right. I, I think it goes back to the whole, like, humans are technology, we're a satellite. That's kind of how I'm, I'm interpreting it, that it's more on the technological side um, than, the, than the spiritual side. That's, that's at least how Ray has interpreted it. On a quantum physics level, we're particles of light and consciousness that are interacting with all other particles at the same time. I mean, yeah, yeah. We're, we came up with words for all this stuff. We came up with the word alien, yeah. mantis, UFO, right. I'm human, this is a dog. I mean, we, we, we labeled all these things, but 
I mean, really, yeah. it's information that is just communicating with itself, made up of mm-hmm. the same components. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you don't yeah. have to think of it that way. Which can be interpreted as all the different languages. Right. <laughs> Crazy. Cool. I want to. Yeah. I wonder if Very in the future we could kind of contact these people and, and do an interview or something. I, I wrote him down. I think, I mean, especially after all the books he read, he sounds like he's a very, like, self, he's self-taught, very knowledgeable, intelligent man based on the fact of his own experiences changed his entire I want to hear, future, I want to know. know more of his uh, stories. We'll have to cover more of his stories in the future. He's, he's got to have more yeah, trippy stories. Sure. And then I was in the bathtub and I saw a woman with a robotic arm. No! Holding... <laughs> A baby Bigfoot. <laughs> a baby with wings. A baby Bigfoot with wings. So, <laughs> Ray spoke to a doctor. Their name is Rudy Schild. Um, they're a Harvard professor of astrophysics who explained that the out-of-body experience is actually connected to what, what they call, I'm going to give you the short phrase, it's QHTC, if you want to look that up. I looked. I watched some YouTube videos of it, It again, Made my mind almost almost <laughs> explode, um, but th- but an out of body experience is compared to what Rudy Shield calls the QHTC, which stands for Quantum Hologram Theory of Physics and Consciousness. <laughs> Doctor Rudy Shield connects Ray to uh, Edgar Mitchell, which do you know who that person is? That's sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they wrote about QHTC long before they passed away, and they um, and they end up start the three of them end up starting this foundation together. Edgar was someone who was uh, used to be part of NASA. He he wrote many scientific uh, papers and, and essays about um, quantum physics. Uh, he actually walked on the moon. He was a man who grew up in Roswell, Mexico. Um, I love this. Dun, I wrote this dun, down. Dun. Yeah. Uh, he says that the prerequisite for deep space travel by non-human intelligence is peace on Earth. And that made me think, oh, is that why NASA is finally confirming US UFOs? Because the world is like on fire right now and we're at opposite ends of the world and we need to bring each other closer together. So somehow by confirming that UFOs exist, it'll maybe bring like world peace to us and maybe That's we'll stop finally beautiful. fighting. <laughs> But it's also possible that they're doing it at a time where they know that we're distracted. That's true. That's true. That's very true. Um, but then, but then I thought maybe maybe our podcast, this is our calling to bring about world peace, and that by telling people and having them listen to these great ethereal stories is gonna, you know, bring bring people together. That's a hundred percent true. <laughs> I love it. It's it's yeah, I hope for the best. That's right? our goal, you know. Yeah. It's not yeah. it's not that much to ask to bring peace to all of us. I mean, honestly, which uh was it Ronald Reagan or uh it, it was a president that gave a speech that said uh that if we only knew, like if we only knew that we were uh I don't know if it was if we were fighting a common enemy from another planet mm. or you know, if we only knew that we were literally just a brotherhood with different skins, you know, and cultures like we're just, we're, we are one, you know, yeah. and, 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 and we're part of this galactic community, you know, it, well, that's even really apparent wonder, on our own earth. I really think it would have that effect. I think it would have that effect to know that like, we're just, you know, we should, we should, we should try an experiment where we grab little kids on a playground and we introduce a UFO to them. 
Hondo and they P. had just finished tearing themselves to bits, and they were about to kill each other on the playground. Like we oh would God. see, like would they team up? Would Johnny and Bill actually stop fighting each other, and and realize that they're in it together against this massive UFO? You're welcome, Hollywood. Um, <laughs> but okay. I do, I do really, I do really hope so. Believe in world peace. We should start a foundation, obviously. That's what everyone Ooh, else is Ooh, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's, that's what's all the Eventually, we'll world. start a foundation. <laughs> um, fun fact, did you know that Edgar Mitchell, Mitchell passed away on the eve of his moon landing anniversary? That's troopy. Uh, so, it happened several months after speaking to Pasolka, actually, because she did have an interview with him as well. Imagine if this was your Wikipedia was a United States Navy officer, aviator, test pilot, aeronautical engineer, ufologist, NASA astronaut. As the lunar module pilot of Apollo 14, he spent nine hours working on the lunar surface in the Frau Mauro Highlands region, making him the sixth person to walk on the moon. Yeah. Awesome. If only (laughs) I could leave this earth and that would be my Wikipedia definition. Jeez. Good Lord. What a cool guy. And then in the, or unless in the future, we all get to walk on the moon and then it's like, eh. Eh, not so cool anymore. He had nine hours. Oh yeah. My my vacation home is on the moon. Exactly. My family (laughs) vacations homes in the Frau Mauro Highlands region. (laughs) That's where the artificial beaches are. Oh my gosh. All right, David. So I'm going to take you into our last he- headline today, which take I know you're in. most excited. I'm going to put on for. my lunar helmet. I'm ready. Yeah, Are we you going ready to the for moon? this? No, we're going to the All right, Vatican. I'm going to take off my lunar helmet. Let's go. <laughs> I'm ready. We're going to the Vatican. So this is the last chapter that Pasolka covered in her book. This was uh, nearing the end of her six-year study. She actually went to the Vatican uh, with Tyler, and she initially went there for her own um, the company that she works for was sending her out there to do more research on uh, Sister Maria of Agrita, who is a meta experiencer um, from the like 17th century. She was a cloistered Spanish nun. Uh, so this was um, for Pasoka's own uh, religious research, right? Um, but she asked if Tyler wanted to come along because she knew that there was a lot of information and historically documented information on levitation, which is something that Sister Maria of Agrita had experienced, and that Tyler might be interested in this levitation story. Levitation in the Vatican. Yeah, isn't that clever? (laughs) So um, Tyler was like, heck yeah, I want to go here. So this is two years after they had their experience down in New Mexico when they were blindfolded in the desert. She was like, I'm going to blindfold you and take you into the heart of (laughs) Catholicism. Exactly. Um, so they they get they get the opportunity to look They're through the so Vatican. Oh God! Sorry. Go ahead. Thank you. Good. They get the opportunity to look through the Vatican's secret archives. And and when I want you to picture the secret archives of the Vatican, I want you to close your eyes and listen to the fact that there are fifty three miles worth of bookshelves in this secret archive. Okay. Can you oh, imagine how Lord. much text is They're located like, in this? They're like you have twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, amazingly, Tyler, with his giant charisma and amazing um, personality, uh, befriended one of the priests who worked at the Vatican. 
who got them special privileges of getting their own set of keys so that the entire time they were at the Vatican, they could have access to these secret archives whenever they wanted. Uh, so wow. sometimes they would go there in the middle of the night. And um, not only did they go to the Vatican, but they also went to the observatory in Castel Gandolfo, uh, which is uh, where a bunch of scientists are observing the, the stars constantly. Um, so I'm going to talk about that first. Castel Gandolfo um, showed a group of scientists who considered themselves to be spiritual scientists, right? They were still um, believers in God, and um, they believed that there was more out there for us, and they weren't focused on the hard material facts for everything. Um, they they believed that they had a, a calling to find out more about the cosmos for the good of humanity. Um, and this actually really affected Tyler deeply. He said... Um, he had this profound experience previously uh, where he was taken um, by a tour director in Rome with Pasolka. They were taken to a church and he like just started weeping for no reason and he couldn't figure out why. And, and he said he prayed for the first time after um, he witnessed this priest who was anointing the sick. And uh, basically he had a whole spiritual conversion in Rome while he's together with Pasolka. Uh, so, this what being did he able convert to, to? Uh, Catholicism. Really? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and this this was all based on these spiritual scientists in Castel Gandolfo, who who again they wanted to find out more about the cosmos. What are they to called? Do... The Ghostbusters? What's their name? <laughs> um, I don't know. They're she spiritual didn't scientists of the Wada Wada. Uh, Castel Gandolfo. Castel Gandolfo. Which is okay. just. Italian for the Gandalf cast, the Gandalf castle. I don't know. Um, yeah. So they sound uh, awesome to me. Right. Exactly. So, um, going into sister Maria of a a little more again, she's a meta experiencer, cloistered Spanish nun from the 17th century. Doesn't that just sound like such another cool depiction that I'd love to like go out with a bang in my life on my Wikipedia page. Like call me a meta experiencer, cloistered Spanish nun. Uh, <laughs> Fine, Pasolka actually makes the comparison that she, her life was very similar to Tyler's. Um, she was known as a mystic. She wrote about the Virgin Mary and having many sightings of her and, and spreading the word of God around. And um, she wrote tons of cosmologies um, about all of her astral journeys. Um, and for those of you who don't know, astral journeys are where you have an out-of-body experience where you float around in the cosmos and experience everything, but not in your own body. You're, you're doing it from a floating out of body experience, looking down on the world. And, um, she actually traveled. She, um, it's what Pasoka calls bilocation. Um, she traveled over the astral plane to, uh, colonial New Mexico. Again, we're in the 17th century. So we're like in the 1600s in Spain. Um, this woman bilocated to colonial New Mexico, a place that didn't even exist to, um, explorers of the world yet. Right. And she went there to prepare the indigenous people of New Mexico for Christianity. (laughs) Whoa. What's her name again? Uh, Sister Maria of Agreda, A-G-R-E-D-A, Agreda. Oh, she or sounds Agreda, maybe. awesome. Yeah, right? Um, I, love, so, I love mystics. I mean, yeah. I think that's the coolest thing totally. you can do. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, 
went on her on her astral journey to New Mexico, she encountered um, Franciscan missionaries and Humanos na- natives. So again, these are terms that like no one has ever heard of before because they didn't exist. But we can prove in history that the natives in New Mexico called themselves the Humanos, and she knew this before. They called themselves the Humanos. J U M A N O S Humanos. Mm-hmm. Um. So she had what we considered imagined contact, right? She wasn't physically there, but she imagined herself going there. And um, uh, Pasoka compares Maria to Tyler in this sense that Maria went to New Mexico to help the indigenous people there. And Tyler wants to go out to space to help everyone else back here on Earth, you know? And that's what he does with his mind. He travels out to space and communicates with people out beyond Maybe Earth's to help reach. us prepare for the inevitable main contact. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So Pasoka connects this by location to New Mexico, um, and she asked Tyler if it's the same place that they went to when she was blindfolded. And he, they're both reading. They're reading in the Vatican, and she's she's reading about this location that um, that Sister Maria went to in New Mexico, and she has this realization. She's like, "Oh my gosh." Was this where Tyler took me when we were blindfolded? And they she asks him. They having a synchronicity in the Vatican. Exactly. She asks him. And Was he it? looks up at her. And his his eyes widen. And then he looks back down. <laughs> so he never answers the question. But that can kind of give you an idea there. Um, and there actually wasn't a synchronicity that, it, that occurred that night. He, he wouldn't answer her. But he received a text right at about the same time that, that um, was from his sister saying that his mom was just put in a hospice. Um, and this was shortly after they arrived to the Vatican. Um, that priest that he befriended that, that earlier that week uh, decided to hold a special mass for Tyler based on the fact that he was going to have to fly back home early because his mom was placed in hospice. Um, and so they had a special mass for her that night in the Vatican. Um, and again, Tyler is just like extremely emotional, newly converted Catholic person. Um, and he flies back home and his mom has passed away. And at the funeral later that week, his sister told him about one day when mom was extremely conscious and aware and she was like singing songs and talking to them uh, right right after they were moved into hospice. And, and she had like a perfect memory, was able to speak fluently. And Tyler's like, what time was that at? And they connected the times that while he was over in Rome, six hours ahead, having a nighttime mass for his mother, that was the same hour that she was completely, uh, you know, had perfect memory, was completely aware of her surroundings and was singing songs and talking with his, his siblings. So that was kind of an amazing synchronicity there that was like really powerful to me. This so, is the man that compared the body to a computer. Let yep. it be known, folks. This exactly. is the man that exactly. can to a hard drive and a, exactly. and a satellite. I mean, this is someone who's who's now having uh, mystical experiences. Synchronicities are definitely mystical. So yeah, this this is right at the end of the book. Um, okay. This is right as she closes out, um, and she she closes the book going back to that artifact from New Mexico that um, Tyler and James both found an artifact, right? And we already heard about James because um, Pasoka and James traveled back to the airport together, and remember it shut down their TSA, um, and that was James' artifact. Uh, it shut down all of TSA's equipment. Um, well, now we're hearing what Tyler's experience was because she had asked him about it when they were at the Vatican, and he said that he put the artifact in his backpack and went to go have dinner with a friend. 
And his friend texted him the next day. He didn't talk about what was in the backpack. Nothing was mentioned. He just happened to have it with him because he didn't go back home before he went to dinner with this friend. And his friend texted him the next day and he said, man, I had this crazy dream about you last night and you had this backpack on and I looked inside your backpack and it had a completely different universe inside of it that was created by this one. (laughs) And And wait, what was in his backpack for real? Uh, the artifact that they found in New Mexico. Whoa. And his friend had a dream that he had a different universe in his That's backpack. That's awesome. Is that just amazing? That like, ooh, so many chills. I got him again. <laughs> again, yeah. that just reminds me of the quote, like what we are studying is studying us. All right, so these were my favorite quotes from, from the book uh, while I was reading it. I was just marking them down. Uh, the first one is a quote from David Bowie. He said, the internet is an alien life form in and of itself. Nice. I thought that was cool. Um, Carl Carl Jung said the UFO is a technological angel. So I thought that was a direct um, comparison to basically Pasolka's whole book. Cool. Um, Dave Grohl, the lead singer from Foo Fighters, quote from him says, the sky, capital S, by the way, the sky is our neighborhood. (laughs) Cool. This is true. Uh Uh-huh. Um, this was a funny one. I actually don't know why I wrote this down, but Stephen Hawking said, why do they only appear to cranks and weirdos? <laughs> and as, as we have read from our many books, that's, that is no longer true. That's a douchey thing to say. That is a douchey thing, Mr. Hawking. Well, forgive him because he's got yeah. a punk rock edge, apparently, this man. <laughs> okay. Indeed. Um, here's a quote from Arthur C. Clarke. Any advanced technology is almost indistinguishable from magic. That's a classic like that one. one. And yeah. that's a good one to think about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, two quotes from Jacques Vallée here. Belief in space visitors is independent of the physical reality of the UFO phenomenon. So here we go back to Jacques Vallée's wording. He words things and you're like, wait, I didn't comprehend that. Say it again. <laughs> um, belief in space visitors, right? So believing in aliens is separate from the physical reality of the UFO phenomenon, which I think we talked about that in episode one, that UFOs have nothing to do with aliens or a non-human intelligence in any way whatsoever. It's the fact that we have unidentified objects in our realm that we cannot explain. Well, it's, and believing it's, yeah, in, it's not, not whatsoever. It's just one of right. the possibilities of right. what it is. But right. the fact that it is, is separate from how you interpret it. Yes. Right. Yeah. Thank you. It could be a technological angel. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jacques Vallée, again, believe no one, believe nothing. Common. <laughs> uh, David Stinnett said, um, they've always been a reality. What they are is still a theory. True. Um, this is a good one from Carol Cusack. It's a little long. So studying religions that openly advertise their invention not only enriches what we now know about traditional religions, but sheds light on how science fiction speculations and new technologies inform religious belief and practice. So it's kind of what Pasolka did this whole book about. You know, she originally is a scholar of religious studies and uses the... Um, you know, new technologies and speculations that we find in the UFO phenomenon to inform her own religious belief and practice. Right. And the last two here, uh, this one's from Elizabeth Loftus. Humans are like Wikipedia pages. We are not the sole editors of our own page. Oh, we're definitely not. We're not the Ooh, I like that. No. There's, there's others that are editing things along the way. Yeah. 
Indeed. And then the last one here is from Jeffrey Kripal. The modern experience of the alien coming down from the sky can be compared to the ancient experience of gods descending from the heavens, which I think wraps up what this book is about beautifully. Sure. <laughs> in, and in, and in that a, they're the same occurrence to an extent. And in a very different way than just the, mm-hmm. the basic ancient aliens approach of, of just saying it's all directly the same. I mean, it's, right. she's sort of hinting at a lot of those ideas and showing us, I like it because it's a roadmap through human beings in contemporary time that are interacting with the phenomenon in an intelligent way. Yeah. Uh, We can find ways to interact with this in an intelligent way. We can find ways to come together and, and, and spend some time on this. It's not that it's not weird. It's not, it's not, um, it shouldn't be taboo to be interested in this stuff. I mean, it should be part of our mission as, as a species to, to get in contact with what's been in contact with us and, and, you know, regardless of whether or not it's the new religion, um, it's definitely, um, it's, it's, it's so relevant, you know, mm-hmm. so relevant. Yeah. Um, it's no so, Jediism, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's the real Jedi stuff, folks. Somewhere out there, there are light swords and, and, and stuff like that, I guess. Uh, great 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 well that wraps up american cosmic part two doesn't it indeed it does ladies and gentlemen um we recommend you picking this book up always uh we cover things thoroughly uh that's why we do two parts um you know we cover things in ways that is similar to uh the way mu covers things but it's not enough to go through the material once you got to go through the material again and again and again. So um, it's just an endless fractal, fractal experience for us to continue to jump through these portals and have these discussions. And hopefully once you start your synchronicity journals, once you start looking out for things on your own, you'll begin, we'll all kind of begin having more uh, intense experiences relating to um, all of these things. So um, next time we're going to be covering uh, part one of the Mothman Prophecies by John Keel, the quintessential book on the supernatural turned into a movie with Richard Gere. The movie's not bad. It's pretty scary. Um, <laughs> but it is a phenomenon that is truly strange and mysterious because it really makes you wonder what the connection is between different beings. I mean, we haven't even touched the relationship between Bigfoot and UFOs. And when you were talking about the Vatican, I was thinking how many buried files are there out there of exorcisms or godlike events where they see a flying saucer and they're just like, oops, we got to hide this. This is way (laughs) too weird. This is not, this is not Catholic, you know? Uh, But, but um but it's not not catholic you know and it's not not related for 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 these uh, for these phenomenon to to interact so mm-hmm. we're going to be looking at what the relationship is between men in black mothman and ufos and um we're going to be diving into one of the great authors one of my favorites on the subject mr 
John Keel himself. John Keel. We don't have to Jean. worry too much. He's he's letting us off the hook <laughs> with the Love pronunciation. It. Love it. I'm excited. It sounds interesting. Great. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We love you. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll be right there with you next time. That's it for today's feast. Thank you for dining with us. Hold your cosmic appetites for next time. And reach out to us on Twitter and follow us on Instagram at Cosmic Feast. 